Hello and welcome to the Weird Geeks Movie Channel and our Star Wars Retrospective Podcast, where every Wednesday and every Saturday we'll be covering a new installment in the classic franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. Go to weirdgeeks.com to check out our other podcast series, Twitch streams, contact details, and news on our very own feature films that are currently in production through our publisher, We Are Tessellate. Weird Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Geeks. Hello and welcome back to the We Are Geek Star Wars Retrospective Podcast, where every single day we're taking you through another Star Wars film in the lead up to The Last Jedi, which is out right now. And we're just in catch up because we're sorry that we fucked up with scheduling, but we're getting back on track. Yeah, so here we are. I'm your host, Al White, and joining me throughout the entire journey, Alexander Chard. Hello. <laughs> Christina Masterson. Hello. Hello, hello, how are you both doing? Very well, thank you. Very I'm excited. well. Fantastical. I'm, ex- I'm really excited. We get to talk about Rogue One today, and then tomorrow we're going to be talking about The Last Jedi, and I'm psyched to talk about both of these films for very different reasons. So, we're going to talk about Rogue One. 2016 was when it came out. Two hours, 13 minutes. It cost $200 million to make. It grossed $1 billion, directed by Gareth Edwards, contentiously, someone else as well, but we'll get into that allegedly. I might be using that word many times throughout this podcast to protect our asses. Written by Chris Weitz and Tony Gilroy with story by John Knoll and Gary Witter. Uh, music by Michael Giacchino. Giacchino? First time with no John Williams score. Boo. You look like you had... Oh, Alex is unhappy already. <laughs> He's out. No, I'm just kidding. Starring <laughs> Felicity Jones as Jin Erso, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor, Alan Tudyk as K2SO, Donnie Yen as Chirrut Imnui, Wen Jiang as Baz. Baze. We just went Baze. We just went through this and I still can't fucking remember. Baze. Malbus. Malbus. Ben Mendelsohn as Orson Krennic, Guy Henry as Governor Tarkin, Florence Whitaker as Saw Guerrera, Reese Ahmed as Body Rook and Mads Mikkelsen as Gallen Urso. So, this is a very important film. This is our first non-Skywalker Star Wars movie. It was kind of a big gamble for, for Disney, was what they're doing. Well, we've got a lot to talk about with this, even just outside of the story in the film. But we'll get into that in a second. Let's start off, how we always like to, by Christina, handing it over to you as you walk us through the top 20 movies of 2016, but oh. a year ago. Just a year ago. Okay, guys, we got number 20 at Ice Age Collision Course. So you're going to say number 20 at 20. Ice Age Collision Course at number 20. Okay, still making those movies. I haven't seen one since the second one. I don't know how many that has been. I think I stopped after two. I don't think I've ever seen one. Yeah, but you've not seen anything before. That's if true. it's not a David Lynch movie, you've not seen it. You're right. <laughs> it's true. Okay. Have you seen June? No. Okay. I'll watch I was it. Really, I was listening back to our Empire Strikes Back episode the other day, and just to check like sound levels and things, and I, I'd forgotten that David Lynch had been approached to direct Empire Strikes Back, and then you got all excited, Christina, and then he went to do Dune instead of doing 
Empire Strikes Back. So. Oh, Dune. I thought you said June. Sure. No, I still haven't seen him. <laughs> 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 Number 19, Jason Bourne with Matt Damon, Tommy Lee Jones. Haven't seen it. Is this a Alex. Friday the 13th movie? <laughs> yes, exactly, Alex. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Sorry, this is a recurring joke for us off, off mic, so I don't, I don't know how to carry or that Al, torch. Is it Jason Reborn? We want to do, we want to pitch a Jason Bourne versus Jason Reborn movie. And I generally, now the more I think about it, that's the best thing ever. It really would be. Because think so, about it in a slasher film, it's all about all the places the slasher villain can pop out from. And what does Jason Bourne do? He gets into a place and by his own volition, he sees all the exits. He figures out where all the weapons are. He sees all the weak mm-hmm. structural points. He's the perfect anti-hero to go up against a slasher hero. So would it be called Jason versus Jason? Or would it be Jason Born versus Jason Reborn? Or would it be Jason Born, Jason Reborn? It will be number they're... 18. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is the cast now. I think they would go with Jason versus Jason, but I think they should go with Jason Born versus Jason Reborn. Okay. Because I think that would be amazing. <laughs> I was very happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Number 18. Warcraft, the beginning. The, uh, this is this a good yeah. movie? No, apparently not. It's not terrible, apparently. I haven't seen it, but it's yeah, directed by the son of David Bowie, who did Moon and Source Code, and it was one of the two big hopes last year, along with Assassin's Creed, which I think Assassin's Creed was much better than people thought it was. But yeah, still waiting for that good video game movie. Maybe Tomb Raider next year. We'll see. Hmm. We'll and now, see. <laughs> number 17, which I'm really surprised it's this low on the, on the chart. La La Land. What? Yeah, number 17. The Oscar winner. Yeah. Briefly. The briefly Oscar winner, yes. That is shocking. Number 17. Okay, fair enough. What bested it, Christina? Well, (laughs) the movie that beat La La Land is Kung Fu Panda 3. Is that the song? Is that that how it goes? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It should go that way, though. (laughs) That... Can you imagine if you are, uh, yeah, if you're, uh, oh, fuck, what's his name? The guy directed Whiplash and La La Land. I forgot his uh, name. Oh, God, I've gone blank. Damien Chazelle. That's it. Yeah. If you're, if you're Damien, you're like, we did pretty well last year. It feels pretty good. Kung Fu Panda 3 did better than you. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's fucking crazy. And Moonlight that... better be on this list somewhere. Let's find uh, out. Number 15, X-Men. Apocalypse. That's not the only X Men movie I haven't managed to get through ever. Can't do it. Bad. Bad Never tried. I'm not even made by a bad man. (laughs) Don't like it. Is Brian Singer bad? Did he do something bad? Oh, yes. Yes, he did. (laughs) But so did everybody right now. So, uh, you know, let's just pretend everybody on this list who made any of these films are terrible people because it's going to come out soon that they're all terrible people. (laughs) Well,. We have number 14, which I've never heard of and I would love to see, called The Mermaid. And I think it's Chinese by Stephen Chow. That's the director of Kung Fu Hustle and Mm. Shaolin Soccer. Is that what it's called? Shaolin Soccer. That sounds fun. Was that the one? Was that called Shaolin Soccer? I don't know. Is that what the title suggests? Shaolin Soccer. Well, he's the one who made all those goofy CGI, you know, like 
you know, those goofy sort of action comedy movies uh, that were really, really big for a short amount of time. Yeah, Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, this one's a comedy. I didn't know that. Yeah, he he just makes dumb comedies. Do you still want to see The Mermaid? No. (laughs) Go, if you you want a mermaid (laughs) film, everyone go see The Lure. Seen it. Been there, done that. It's the best. If you want a mermaid film, go and see Splash. Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah, John Candy. Oh, I have seen that, Alex. Thank you. You're welcome. It's so good. Yes, I thought you were talking. But about have you seen a anything else that came out in 2016, Christina? That's the question. <laughs> I watched La La Land. That's so. That's oh there my gosh. Go. That's the only one so far on this list I've seen. All right. That's so bad. Let's, let's go for a hat trick. Is what we want. Okay. Still number thirteen. We got Sing. That's the CGI. X Factor, whatever you want to call it. Humanoid uh, what's animals. One? What's that one that Ali loves where you sit on the chair and you rotate? Why? What? Alex um, knows what I'm talking about. No, I have it. no idea. Voice, the voice. The voice. Oh, the it. voice. Yeah. Okay. We have number 12, Moana, which I actually, I've seen this one. I watched it on the airplane. It was great. I've seen I really too. loved it. Yeah. Moana's really, really good. But what what's really weird is I saw it when I was coming back from France, and it was called Viona. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> so weird. It they is so... do. I mean, I know Disney does localized stuff a lot, but that's, that's a weird yeah, one. Yeah. We got to look into that next podcast. Okay. Can't be bothered. I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> number, I'm sure it's all political. Number 11, we got Doctor Strange. My third least favorite Marvel MCU film. Did you see this one, Alex? I did see this one. I liked it. I don't know you... if I'd have it that low on my list. What's your lowest, no, just to quickly wouldn't... ask you? My lowest would be Thor and Thor Dark World. Um, I think Thor Dark World is my least favorite, just in that it's really dull. And then probably Thor and then this. Wow. I don't, I don't think I have any MCU film that'd be worse than them. What would you say is worse? Then. I mean, I appreciate it. a lot of people like Doctor Strange, but what's the worst MCU? I would. I've only seen part of the first Thor, and I didn't was didn't really enjoy it, so I didn't keep watching it. That's fair enough. I haven't seen the second Thor. Doctor Strange is pretty high on my list, so I don't mm. know what would be worse than. Yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> don't like it. We'll be back probably. Well, some of us <laughs> doubtful either of you two, but yeah, at some point we're going to get into the uh, MCU retrospective so i want to kill myself but yeah well don't do that yet because we have number 10 <laughs> suicide squad which oh, i God. haven't seen don't kill yourself net yet because the next film is suicide squad <laughs> kill yourself after that film fucking hell <coughs> that was my that was my least favorite film i saw last year terrible oh really yeah i it thought really very fresh. i heard very it was bad. really bad but really I do got to say that every time I go to a convention, there's mostly people are dressed up as Suicide Squad right now. It's pretty hot, pretty popular. Pretty hot and popular. Yeah. yeah. It's like the weird, it's like people were complaining about the objectification of Margot Robbie in that film, even though she was completely fine with it. And even though uh, Will Smith walks around with his top off for most of the movie. And some other <laughs> and guy everybody does. likes to dress up as her now. So Yeah, and all the girls, but all the girls love to dress up as her because they just think so she's I sexy guess there and was empowering. So it's like... One good thing about the movie is the styling. 
honest to God, I think Margot <laughs> Robbie was born to play that role. Like watching her in a Harley Quinn film, I would be totally up for. I think she's really, really good in it. Mm. Everything else was just terrible. I'm really excited that- to see her in I, Tanya. Yeah, she looks um, great um, in it. Okay, number nine. Deadpool. Yeah. Whoa. Really funny movie. Love it. Would you say uh, this was a game changer for the comic book film? It was. It's the first R-rated Marvel movie because then Logan came after this. And yeah, and as of two days ago, now a part of Disney's MCU. So it can now indeed be a part of uh, Captain America and the Avengers. And, and we just had that Infinity War trailer come out and people are like, holy shit, how many fucking characters can you fit in one film? Well... <laughs> some point <laughs> it'll be fantastic for and all the x-men and hugh jackman's now said he'll actually come back to play logan again just so he can be part of the mcu and all that fun. did he really he said it before like when there was first rumors like a couple of weeks ago of this deal might go down he came he came out to say i always wanted to be a part of the mcu which he's always been very vocal about so he said i will absolutely come back if there's a role for me to do something like that but whether marvel will now want to use old man logan because he's his days are kind of how many more times is he really going to play it, you know? Yeah. But my favorite thing was Chris Evans came out to say, I want to play Captain America and at the same time play his version of Human Torch now that they would own yeah. <laughs> Human Torch. So he would play two characters in the same film. Funny stuff. Sorry, Christina. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move you guys along to number eight. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Whimsical. It looks Harry nice. Prequels. I like cool. That. I didn't know they There's did a that. Briefcase. Didn't know they did it. No, but now I know, and now I will go watch it. Number seven, Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. The film about superheroes' mothers. It's really what it's all about. Martha, your mom's but name my is mom's Martha. Name's Martha. <laughs> <laughs> we should hold hands. <laughs> You're my best friend. I'm gonna snipe from this building over here. Don't worry about me. You just do all the legwork, buddy. <laughs> not not a great movie sorry Continue. yeah I didn't I've, watch I've, it I'm amazed that's a year ago though I really am time flies Al right well no it, it feels a long time ago <laughs> it's dragging its heels <laughs> I mean time slows down right yeah that's six. what they say the older <laughs> you get <laughs> the slower you live life <laughs> the secret life of pets Meh. yeah it was all right I watched this on the plane. I mean, I do got to say, well, reading lots of all... plane movies. Oh, lots of plane movies. I do got to say, reading all of these top 20 lists in all these years, like, there's a lot of animation movies that really do well. Well, never underestimate that kids want to go see movies. The power of children. Mm-hmm. And when a kid goes to see a movie, you get two more tickets sold because the parents have to go see the movie as well. Yeah. And that's if they have siblings and other kids have to go see the movie. So, yeah. If you want to make money, make kids films and make yeah. horror films. You know what I just yeah. just thought who of? Go, with but who goes watches horror films? Horror films, it's it's the basic. It's like with music. If you want to make money, you make heavy metal music because their fan base is so passionate and you can sell merchandise. So they by far make the most money is heavy metal music in the music industry. And with films, it's by far horror movies because they cost so little to make. You don't have to pay big actors to be in them uh, because they're one of the few genres Excuse of movies me? that people accept. <laughs> people will accept uh, people who aren't big, big names because they just want the story and the right actor which is cool. oh i thought you just meant size you just get little <laughs> you only you only bring in warwick davis Let's see. <laughs> you know what i just thought you're saying the animations like being in all these top 20 lists 
now that Disney has acquired Fox, I'm sure like in five years, the top 20 films are probably, more than half of them will probably be under the Disney umbrella. Oh, if you consider gosh, the animation, yeah. the Marvel films. They almost Star are anyway. Films. They already owned, wow. what was it, 24% of the market or something before they even bought. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Oh, okay. Number five, The Jungle Book. Yeah. Was it good? Did anybody watch it? I did actually watch this. I fell asleep a little bit during Oh. I wasn't a big fan of it, but I will say this. I think it's doing, you know, it's recreating the original with a slightly different vision. So for me, I much, much prefer this to like The Beauty and the Beast, where it's just like, let's recreate the original classic exactly the same. I would rather they did something different if you're going to remake it. No, I loved Beauty and the Beast. You can get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, haven't, I, I loved it. I don't know Disney. why I liked it. I haven't jumped on the live action Disney train yet. I, I really, I, it rubs me the wrong way, but if you're going to do it, do something different. And the Beauty and Beast was like, it was sh- nearly shot by shot. And it's like the original's fucking so good and it's still so good. I don't well, need to see CGI versions of Maybe I should the watch the thing. original again too. The original's awesome. It's been a and while. And the Beast is so fucking good and so lovable and vulnerable in the original. Yeah, whereas in the remake, is just this fucking pretty model boy with stupid CGI. It Teen Wolf. Oh. He looks like Teen Wolf. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He does. <laughs> okay, number four. We have Zootopia. This is cool. Sword, sword on a plane. <laughs> so many plane movies. Yeah, that's a cool movie. It wasn't quite as good as everyone thought it was, I think, but it was good. And we have our top three now. Are you ready? No. Number three. Well, I'm going to go anyways. (laughs) It's like I I mean nothing to you. Finding Dory. Animation movie. Another animation movie. A top three. Yeah, it's a cool squid in this. That's all I got to say. That's it? Okay. (laughs) Number two. We have Rogue One. At number two. Number two. Whoa. Yes. So Star Wars not at number one for the first time since Attack of the Clones. Oh my god. Spoilers. And this one was a Star lot better movies. than Attack of the Clones. I mean Attack of the Clones should have been at number ten. No, it shouldn't have been even been in the top twenty. <laughs> it I, shouldn't have even seen uh, the let, light let me of day. You, Christina. <laughs> exactly, Attack of the Clones Alex. was your favorite of the prequels simply because <laughs> it had a beautiful romance story. To do with sand. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and force feeding. Well, actually, you know what? Force feeding. That's so good. No. Okay. It's too late. Never, we'll I get take to it in back. a wrap up. Yeah, you get yeah, to yeah. think things in your wrap up. You know, I wasn't thinking. I actually was thinking of a different one. I think that's why. Oh, okay. I was thinking so of what's... clone. I was thinking of Clone Wars. <laughs> oh, the animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That I actually shouldn't have seen that. the light of day. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Whatever. Okay. Anyways. What's the number so, one film? So, what beat Star Moonlight. Wars? Moonlight. No, it's, it's not even on this list. It's disgusting. It's fucking crazy. What's wrong with it's people? It's disgusting that it's, it should be number one. But it's Captain America. Yeah. Civil War. Yeah. It's war. It's about America so, and it's about war. Of course, it's number all, one. All the, it's got a captain in it. <laughs> Everyone's civil about things. They're all white. Well, you I watch? mean, yeah, it's number one. No, they brought in some ethnic minorities. So the, I don't know. Uh, I didn't watch it. The top three were all Disney. Can that is true. Oh, wow. I can't believe it. And the first appearance of Spidey <gasps> in the MCU. 
That's one of the main reasons I think Civil War was so big. Mm, he was very right. good. He was very he's good. Fucking, he's so good. We he's did so it. Good. We did it, guys. Well played. Let's go home. And we're still recording. <laughs> we're, here about, we're here to talk about Rogue One. I'm really excited. So second second in the year, not great. Well, I mean, still fantastic. But for Disney, it's got to look, you know, it's their second movie. And Force Awakens, as we said before last week, oh, sorry, last episode, made one of the only three movies in history to make over $2 billion in the box office. This one makes $1 billion eventually in the box office. Budget of $200 million. A great return. Definitely a big success story. But as always, you're going to judge stuff on your previous one. So a huge drop down from the last one. So they're going to be looking at why is this a huge drop down from the last one? Is this a bad idea? Christina? Well, let me I'm tell guessing, you why. <laughs> I'm guessing, Christina, that you might not know much about this movie. So we're going to tell you how this movie came to be first in as quick a fashion as possible. But I think it's genuinely interesting. So Disney by Lucasfilms. They decide that they want to obviously bring Star Wars back as quickly as possible. And if I'm not incorrect, Alex, they kind of announced that that week, didn't they? When they bought mm-hmm. yeah. Lucasfilm. They're like, we're, medi- we're going to be doing this. You're going to have so much fucking Star Wars. You're not going to yep. know what to do about it. So they decide what they're going to do is every other year, you're going to have the mainline Star Wars movies. Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, whatever number nine is going to be called. And then onwards, uh, which we'll talk about in our wrap up. Cause which they call about it. the Star Wars saga. There you go. There you go. And then in between, they're going to do these one-off stories. And it was originally going to be called a Star Wars story. That was what each of these was going to be. The first one was Rogue One. Uh, Next year, 2018, we're going to be getting the Solo movie. And then after that, we'll see. There's lots of things up in the air right now, what it could be. But this was a bit of a gamble for them. Now, lots of people think, where did this idea come from for Rogue One? And they think it came from Gareth Edwards, but it didn't. It actually came from John Knoll. John Knoll is a visual effects artist. Arter. (laughs) 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 and worked i didn't know this until i looked this up he'd worked all the way back on the original star wars movies a new hope and return of the jedi he'd done effects on millions of things from the golden child to inner space to baby's day out deep blue sea then he did the star wars prequels he did pirates of the caribbean speed racer rango loads and loads of stuff he had heard from working in ilm that Disney were taking pitches from people through the Star Wars movies, and he didn't like any of the ideas that he was overhearing were happening. So he began developing his own idea for a film. And his employee, his fellow employees said, this is a great idea. You should go and talk to Kathleen Kennedy about this. Uh, so he developed it into a 30-minute pitch, took it to Kathleen Kennedy, the new president of Lucasfilm. She's the lady who's been orchestrating, really, the entire landscape of Disney Star Wars movies. And she loved the pitch, and the movie was put into production. So he actually developed a story... And he's actually an executive producer on this film. And it's the only story he's ever developed. It's also the only film he's ever produced in any way. And then it got handed over to other people. So we've got Gary Witter came in to help with the story. He's got an interesting back history. He, the films he's done are things like After Earth, which M. Night Shyamalan did. Not a great movie. The beginning of the, the end of- for M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> fucking hate you. That was the end of the end, I think, for M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> And then he did, he wrote The Book of Eli, which was that pretty cool Denzel Washington post-apocalyptic movie. But he's actually done a lot of video game stuff. Uh, he did Prey, the original Prey, not the one that just came out this year. And he worked on a lot of Telltale's The Walking Dead video games. Love it. Um, doing the stories for them. Yeah, great, great series. And he's, he's since gone on to do quite a lot of Star Wars Rebels for TV, um, which he does stories for. The main writers who came in, though, we have Chris Weitz. 
So Chris Weitz, when I read that name, I was like, is that the same Chris Weitz I'm thinking of? And it is indeed. It's the one who is an uncredited director on American Pie and was a producer <laughs> on most of those movies. I like uh, that your brain could, 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 uh, could graphically like, recall that information. <laughs> I don't know how, but I know that fucking Chris Weitz was associated with American Pie. He, his first script was actually Ants, which was one of the first CGI animated movies out there. He did Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. He did. He also did About a Boy. He did The Golden Compass and Disney's Talking of Remakes, the Cinderella movie they did. And then we have Tony Gilroy. Now, he wrote stuff like The Devil's Advocate. He wrote the first four Bourne movies, speaking of Jason Bourne. He wrote, he wrote and directed Michael Clayton, which I think is a very underrated George Clooney movie. Very serious, very political and cool. And then he also wrote The Great Wall, which is that bad uh, Matt Damon movie that came out last year. And... My personal favorite, a little Australian film called Bait, where a tsunami uh, traps some people in a supermarket and then sharks <laughs> sharks w- wash in there with them. <laughs> of yeah. course, that's your favorite film. I watched that with you, Al, on your laptop when we, did we, really? when we, when we road tripped across the US. Yeah. What is it called? Fuck yes, Bait? we did. Bait, B-A-I-T. In fact, I think we may have watched it when we were staying in those canyons in Utah. That sounds about right. I just remember like we, putting putting a table between the beds. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know we sure, definitely watched the paranormal table between activity the beds. There. You just shared a bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, a lot of writers here, a lot of story developers, and all from very different places, like very different places. So it's kind of a strange mix of styles. Like looking at that objectively, it's like, what the fuck are we going to get? Because before this, we've mostly got one or two writers, and we got a good through thread of Lawrence Kasdan. So Lawrence Kasdan was meant to write, not this movie, the next one that we're going to talk about, but he was never attached to this one. So this was always going to be new blood, new visions, a whole new style. So Gareth Edwards, now, do if the, like, uh, uh, I've been lucky enough to have run-ins with Gareth before. He's one of the loveliest people I've met in the film industry. I am not going to be pretentious enough to pretend that we're friends. But he's very kind and still emails me back about things. He's actually was very supportive when I was making my first feature film and emailed me with some helpful advice on that. I think he's a lovely man and I actually dedicate at the end of all of my films, there's a dedication to him. Because meeting him in person after he did his first film, Monsters, was the thing that pushed me to go back into film and have the courage to go back into film. And he gave me good advice then and he's kind enough to still do it now. So I want to say that because people might think I'm biased with my love towards Gareth Edwards. And I try to be objective. In fact, when he made Godzilla after Monsters, I sent him an email telling him all my problems with Godzilla. (laughs) (laughs) But did he respond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't talk to me as much as he used to, but he does still sporadically like send me these really lovely, like quite meaty emails. He's a really, really nice guy. But I just want to get it out there, just because, yeah, like people can choose whether to think that I'm biased or not. But I don't think I am. Like I say, like I loved his first one, Monsters. He, he was one of those golden people where he's an English guy. He directed this tiny film. It's hard to know exactly how much it costs, but I think it costed about 200000 300000 in the end uh, before marketing. And then and he shot that in a documentary style. And then after that, he got taken to do Godzilla. The tsunami happened in Japan, so they had to kind of delay that. Godzilla eventually came out, and from there he went straight to do this. Um, so he's had a really quick trajectory to massive, massive films and controlling huge budgets. And he went in with the pitch of, I want to make, and these are allegedly, so there's a lot of talk about this movie, and there's not much proof. So I'm going to say allegedly a lot, 
but I would say most of this has enough circumstantial proof and rumors to be true. He went in to pitch Apocalypse Now, essentially, set in the Star Wars universe. And Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy got excited about that idea. They wanted to do something brave and new at that point. So they allowed him to come in with that pretension. Uh, Yeah, like Disney is obviously a huge, huge company. And they are not that risk. Yeah, they are quite risk averse. You know, they have to worry about what kind of returns you're going to make on $200 million movies. So throughout the production of this, things got a bit messy. It's sketchy again. So we're going to say allegedly. But we know for a fact that reshoots were ordered, which is not weird. The internet had a lot of cynicism about this at the time. But there were 40 days of reshoots, which is extensive. And then they actually, we know for a fact that they brought in another director, which is actually the guy who wrote, or one of the writers of the script who we just talked about, which is Tony Gilroy, who had written the Bourne movies, had directed Michael Clayton. Now, it's still up in the air exactly which scenes he directed. We've heard since in interviews with the editor and stuff, a lot was changed at the end of the movie. A lot of reshaping was done. If you go and watch the original two trailers of Rogue One, at least 50% of that footage isn't in this movie whatsoever. And allegedly, uh, Gareth Edwards was not happy, basically, with what was going on. Uh, Him and Kathleen Kennedy allegedly fell out. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy allegedly didn't like him very much or like working with him very much. He was shooting a lot of things as he tends to do in a documentary style. So he was getting a lot of footage and then they'll have to work through it in the edit room um, to figure out how the scene was going to work. So, yeah, they, there were also a lot of rumors going around that the actors were saying when they brought in for those 40 days of reshoots, it was to inject humor. Because during the production of Rogue One, Force Awakens comes out, makes $2 billion. Disney suddenly realized this is what people want. We got the formula right first time. We need to now be less risky with these in-between Star Wars solo movies. Let's try and shape that more into something that people want. It is unknown, and we'll get to it when we go through it, how many cameos used to be in this movie. Talk about whether we think they stick out like a sore thumb or not from cameo to cameo. But for sure, they injected more action, uh, they injected more humor, and they reshaped yeah, the how the ending was going to finish up. It is known that our, our lead actress, uh, Felicity Jones, was signed up for two movies. So potentially in the original, she survived the film. Not sure. But yeah, it was a real messy thing. And it was the first kind of crack in the Lucasfilm, sorry, in the Disney version of Lucasfilm, which has continued from film to film. They've now got into a habit of firing directors from their Star Wars projects. And this was the first kind of sign of, okay, they don't really know exactly what they're doing. And they're not respecting necessarily the director's vision. Gareth has never come out with anything really bad to say about them. He did, however, and I remember this being quite translucent. There was an interview with him about a week before this information started to come out about the reshoots, where he said that he was kind of done with making big, big movies, and he hadn't enjoyed all of his experiences, and he wanted to go back to making small films. Which, small films now for him probably is 10 million or 20 million, as opposed to 200,000, but not making these huge franchise films. Anyway, important just, to get out of the way. Can I just add something quickly? Like, Please. You're sort of saying, yeah, this sort of this was the beginning of that, this pattern of Disney kind of firing directors and and you sort of said that it, it sort of shows that it kind of looks like they don't know what they're doing for me like the impression <clears> that <throat> i get out of that is you know they they obviously came out when they took over lucas films and were like hey we want to we want to sort of 
re-energize the the main saga and those trilogies and then we want to have like this fresh kind of input from new directors and writers in these side stories and the approach like the feeling that i get as a fan is like they've come out and said that but now with all these firing of directors and reshoots and this it's like well they still very much have a disney style structure and despite saying that like hey we want to brand it differently and these want to be slightly different they clearly have a a sort of like format that they're like nope but you have to tick all these boxes and if you don't then you're kind of out which is like really sad and disappointing because i don't think these these sort of side films uh, spin-offs are going to are going to be as unique as as we would have hoped i guess yeah i agree completely i mean they're never these side films i mean the han solo one obviously could potentially but a film like rogue one which is essentially all about unknown characters who we've heard about maybe briefly uh, but never seen and there's not really much opportunity to have skywalkers and han solos and people crossing over into it it's never going to make the same money it's never ever ever when you're not capitalizing on what came before as well as what looking you know it's going to happen next i do understand disney being worried about that my problem with it is be worried about it before you green light stuff you know be worried For about sure. it before you accept pitches from directors if you trust in a director trust in the director and it doesn't seem like they are uh, from this forward onwards with many of the films, even in their mainline films, as we'll be yep. getting to. And yeah, as so I mean, as a Gareth Edwards fan, I was just super excited anyway. Even when The Trouble was coming out, I was a bit worried, but I was excited to, you know, just see a different vision. And then the trailers started coming out and we talked about it with Force Awakens. I wasn't the biggest Star Wars fan, but those trailers got me hyped through the roof for that film. These trailers... I think the thing most people took away from these trailers is the thing that's not even in the film. To I mean, tell me if you noticed it. But the, the biggest thing from the Rogue One trailers was people walking around doing their... The big siren. Yeah. yeah, when there's a siren that goes off in one of the trailers. And I don't even, it's not even in the film, is it? I think it is. It's certainly not as emphasized. I was talking actually yesterday with some friends about the Star Wars trailers for Force Awakens, uh, Last Jedi, Rogue One. And this is kind of, I just, I guess, crafty kind of trailer editing, but a lot of the things that they do emphasize in those trailers, uh, when you see them in the film, are very kind of uh, less significant or almost passable. No, there's loads that's not even in the film. Loads and loads, oh, loads it's of admitted, yeah. Good thing I didn't watch the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> our, our, You're a fresh eyes, our, Christina. Our friend and fellow podcast contributor, Justin Maraconda, did a very very good impression of the siren he's so good at the siren that's all for for weeks on our podcast every time we started that was the noise he made when he... but no it was weird because i was looking at it and i was excited by the images i was seeing i was very excited to see gareth getting to do something like this and to get to see what i was interested in which was okay i enjoyed force awakens more than most people but i wanted to see something different but i, I don't know if it was just because there had been a star wars film the year before i wasn't as excited for Rogue One as I was for The Force Awakens. Yeah. When I, I remember seeing it and being, I guess, having similar feelings to being excited that I wanted something different at that point. And I was excited to see sort of Disney's first steps into these expanded stories. I remember seeing the trailer and being really excited by the like set and costume design. I was like, they've nailed it. It feels so tied into like A New Hope. But I remember bits being really like watching the trailer i think i remember discussing it with you like there was a like a, a part of a, a ship taking off and 
it looked like the CGI hadn't been finished properly. It, it looked a bit, I don't know, it just didn't look as, as, as clean. And I remember that really standing out in one of those first trailers. Which is true in a lot of those trailers. But then again, it's like, why release it then? You know? <laughs> yeah, strange. like, and then that was just like a s- small little three or four second shot. And it's like, yeah, why put it in if it's if it isn't complete? Yeah, so when I first saw the trailer, I I really liked it. But there were bits, and I think I said this to you, Al, that where the CGI looked, looked like it hadn't been finished. <laughs> it just didn't look sort of complete and it looked a bit iffy. But regardless of that, I was still very excited for this film. Christina, were you even aware that this film was coming out? Because you said you'd been to see Force Awakens. Yeah, I feel like I maybe saw some posters or whatever, billboards of it, but I didn't watch the trailer. I didn't really like pay any attention to it. Okay. Okay. So you saw Force Awakens. You thought, I kind of enjoyed that, but fuck this Star Wars shit. It's coming out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just, you know, I don't know. I just, I really didn't pay attention to any Star Wars stuff until I met you guys. You're so lucky. You're so lucky. I mean, I have to admit, like I had friends who, I mean, it's it's hard to, even just, although it was just a year ago, people were really confused. This movie, I still think was, the first trailer came out and we talked about it on the podcast for weeks after weeks. So like when they bring out the trailer for this, sure, the geeks know what it is. We know that it's this weird film set before A New Hope, leading directly into New Hope about the people finding the plans for the Death Star. But for the majority of people, they've just seen A Force Awakens. They love their BB-8s. They love their Ray. They love their Finn. That's what they're going back into. And it's like, this is going to confuse the shit out of them because unless they really communicate it. And in my head, it was like, they have to come out with something that explicitly lets them know, like, before Ray, before, like, blah, 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 before Luke or whatever, you know, just something that really hammers at home. And they didn't. They brought out this weird, obscure kind of moody trailer that was cool. But it was like, you're not communicating the message of what this is. And I had friends of mine who were really confused. They're like, they were yeah. coming to me going, what is Rogue One? I mean, I honestly did not. Yeah, I absolutely did not know that it was like a side story until you guys explained that to me before I watched it. So, Yeah, I do think it was a problem. And I think it was Disney. Disney are normally pretty smart with their marketing, at least. And I thought that was a stupid move on their part, just to presume everyone understood what this property was. So I don't I, and I don't think we'll see something like this again. I think every side story we get from now on will, will revolve around a character that we know already. Or, I mean, you sure it's not going to revolve around the Death Star? <laughs> we need more Death Star movies. Yeah. That's the thing. Well, we're in luck because here, here is another Death Star movie. <laughs> All right. There's lots more to say, but let's just get into the meat of it. The one thing I did want to say very quickly is that, yeah, the composer did change on this, which I meant to mention earlier. Alexandra Desplat had actually recorded a score for the movie, and then it was rejected because of the extensive reshoots. And those extensive reshoots completely, you know, address the tone and story issues. And then this extended to post-production schedule. And then Alexandra Desplat became unavailable to come in to to do a new score. Now, that guy had worked, uh, Alexandra had worked with Wes Anderson on quite a lot of films. And yeah, so they brought in Michael Giacchino, who weirdly, Michael has done lots and lots and lots and lots and a huge extensive amount of work. And he... <laughs> has worked with J.J. Abrams on Never every J.J. Abrams film. 
other than The Force Awakens. So it's really fucking weird that, yeah, he comes in to do the Star Wars score for the film that his normal collaborator is not doing when his normal collaborator did the last one. And he did the same deal. He had just done the same deal with Jurassic World. He did the music for that when John Williams did the old Jurassic Park score. So he was kind of used to coming in and trying to emulate John Williams style uh, music. But yeah, there you go. All right. So yeah, Alex the music. The Sorry. Well, I, yeah, we're going to get to the music. Yeah. There's a lot to say about the music, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's start our little rundown of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Yeah. So you're sitting in your cinema seat. You know it's a Star Wars film. The twinkly Lucasfilm logo comes up. I'm waiting for it. I'm ready. The fade to the titles a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You're sitting We're in get your a seat. Bam any second. You're gonna get the big Star Wars fanfare and crawl. And we don't. There's no, no crawl. No crawl. There's no Denied. opening crawl. There is no Opening crawl. Now, this was actually... Kathleen Kennedy actually came out and said before the release of the film that there would be no crawl. It got quite mixed reactions. I'm a purist, and I felt that any Star Wars media... And, and growing up, like any of the, the games or... Well, most of the games, I guess, in my reference. Did you, uh, did you like your Star Wars novels, your EU, to start with an opening <laughs> crawl? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> It's fading so small you couldn't read it on the page. I had always been used to uh, to a crawl. Apparently, I, I just read up in the facts that there is a crawl apparently written for this film. They've just never released it. They did originally intend for there to be a crawl. Someone wrote one and then people reached out to that person on Twitter and they said, I'm, I don't legally own this, so I can't even share it with you if I want to. This is Lucasfilm's property. Um, so, like I can but- understand if they want to keep that for the the main saga. But for me, it's like it, it sort of... Is it just a? For me, it's also just a really great way to draw you into the the, the greater universe right, that that it all belongs to, and that this is just another story from that. So yeah, yeah, Christina, how do you feel about it? I was waiting for the freaking scroll. scroll. <laughs> <laughs> Two hours later, and still waiting. I'm still waiting. But I guess, you know, I don't know. So they, you think that they did it because they just wanted to separate it from the other ones? To, Definitely. Yeah. I think that was part of it's the a risk, mean, It's a risky film. And I think genuinely it's partly them going, if we need to cut this loose, we can. Like, I feel uh, that's part of the reason. It's a safety kind of thing. For I them, see. Yeah. In my opinion. I mean, I, I think it does belong here because the Cruel's purpose is nothing tied to Skywalker. The Cruel's purpose is previously in this universe, here's some history. Exactly. Yeah, I think it would have helped a little bit. Yeah, um, some history. I missed it, to be honest. No, I'm the same. I'm the same. And I missed the music, Alex, right yeah. at the beginning of this film. I really, really and I, and I think that like it gives, having that music and the Cruel gives... Any Star Wars film, I'll even admit for Attack of the Clones, you know, that that introduction gives you energy and excitement that, okay, now we're going to, I'm going to get a bit of, a little bit of backstory about what's going on in this universe, but it's like, it's preparing me for this, this story that we're going to, an adventure we're going to go on. And I feel Absolutely. like it, it's it sort of not having that, it, it, it just felt a bit more flat. It lacks and, the personality of the Star Wars universe just by the, its absence, which is... Mm. A definitely a statement. Yeah. You know? so yeah. I remember, what we're trying yeah, to say watched... is that we enjoy the damn 
We crawl. like the scroll. We like yeah. the music. Yeah. Scroll, but I get crawl, they want to do whatever. something different. I respect yeah. that. I was welcome, you know, to, I'm welcome to have my mind changed and to see, okay, a different Star Wars film with different principles. For as sure. long as it can replace it with better, you know, equally good or better principles. Yeah. Yeah. As, as my, as my feelings for this film have changed over the many times I've seen it now, that's one thing that I will never forgive them for. Yeah, and for me, that immediately leads into, as we keep saying, the music. So I'm going to say this only a couple oh, yeah. times, going to yeah. bang on about it. But we go straight in and we have, we're dealing with the same notes. We're dealing with, for a lot, so that like kind of the concept for this film is building the music. And it makes more sense to me now that I realize there was a whole different score room for this. And then at the last minute, they kind of did a whole new score. But it's basically constructing their way towards the Star Wars themes, which doesn't really make any sense because... It's not like it's like the Skywalkers and people aren't. In. If you're going to tie the themes to Skywalker rather than the Star Wars universe, the Skywalkers and people don't come into this film. But our idea is to build towards it. And it drives me crazy through this film. Like, it's so... It's, it, it's way more distracting for me to have a score that's nearly what you know and what you love, but instead is denying you that satisfaction of those themes again and again and again than just doing something new. For me, it's like, just do something new or do the old. Doing this half-baked version really, really pisses me off. It really does. Yeah, I paid more attention to it in my most recent viewing because I remember it sort of irked me a little bit where it did when I first saw it. And there's one particular theme. I, this this time, last time watching it, I was like, overall, I was I was okay with the score, but there's one particular theme that, that has like a, a sort of little flourish that almost goes into... John Williams' score, but then it doesn't, and it, and it, yeah, it's so it jarring. Loads. It really stands they do out it right from the beginning. It yeah. drives me crazy, man. I don't um, like. I don't like and, any of the themes in this movie. And what it actually reminds me of is some of the music and themes from the animation series from Clone Wars and Rebels. They have similar kind of. I think even the start of the Clone Wars film, where it, you know it doesn't have the crawl, but it starts with like a doom, and it's sort of, it's kind of the same, but it's not, and it's. Oh, and that one is actually like a weird slowed down version. Yeah, that one's just like it. It's like a cover band doing it. Whereas <laughs> yeah. this is like, this is just like someone who's like, I want to play the music, but I don't have the licensing for it. So yeah. <laughs> kind of like it's like someone's been given the Souls music to for a different film and said, basically, can you rip this off? But so we don't get sued. That's yeah. how it kind of feels, and I don't like it at all. Hmm. Okay, so that's where we are right off the right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not happy, Alex. <laughs> right off the bat. So, yeah, we we don't have the crawl, and we we cut straight to a planet um, that's surrounded in rings, and we see what looks like an imperial transport zoom across the planet. Which is, I, I like this opening when once we kind of get over the the score and the music, seeing this sort of rainy uh, sort of tundra type planet as this transport zooms across. As it flies across, we see a droid and we have a like a puppet style type droid, which is really cool, which notifies a man and a woman who are Galen Urso and uh, his wife. I forgot her name. Oh my God. Anyway. Something Urso. Jin's parents. And a small girl is running across a field and she gets there and they collect their belongings and they're clearly getting ready to escape for whoever's arriving. Um, and the woman tells her husband that she called that she called Saw Guerrera, and uh, he tells her that uh, tells her what has happened and says, "You know what to do." The Imperial transport lands, and we have these new 
never before seen black stormtroopers who don't communicate in English, but sort of in a almost like droid style language and an Imperial officer who is director Krennic played by, um, Ben Mendelsohn. He he approaches Galen Erso. At this point, Jin and her mother are hiding. The mother gives Jin a crystal necklace, which contains a kyber crystal, which are the crystals that go into lightsabers. And she tells her to trust the force. So immediately we have a kind of sprinkling of Star Wars mythology. The force is like, yeah, I mentioned right away. Uh, The officer, Director Koenig, tells Galen that he has to return to work for the Empire and tells Galen that he must bring his wife and child, but Galen says that his wife is dead. But then she comes out of the hiding and points a weapon at Krennic and says that they will not return. And she shoots him in the shoulder and the stormtroopers kill Galen's wife. And Galen admits defeat and says, okay, he has to go. At this point, Jin, little little girl Jin, escapes and goes into a secret hiding place in a cave and waits there. And at this point, we sort of cut to uh, Saw Guerrera opening the top of the bunker and looking down and says that he's here to help her. And then we cut to the titles straight after that. There's the theme. That's what I was trying to think of, the one that really grinds my gears. Yep. I mean, I do got to say from the beginning, like the look of everything, the way it's shot, looks really freaking cool. Yeah, I'm on board with that too. I completely agree. Yeah, it was beautifully shot. And then also I love Ben Mendelsohn and I love Forrest Whitaker. So I was really, really excited in the beginning of this because it has some amazing actors in it and it just looks so beautiful. And... All of the effects, CGI, whatever, everything looks really good. Yeah, this is like, yeah, I'm going to say right now, this is my favorite opening to any Star Wars film. Yeah. I love the the placement of, yeah, of the effects in these real environments. It's so fucking just... It, I remember before watching it and I had some problems with the effects this time. And I rewatched this actually the day after seeing The Last Jedi. And I don't know why, because The Last Jedi has you know some incredible effects in it. Spoilers for next podcast. But this film looks beautiful. Like these it effects really look is. so well seated in the environments. And Gareth Edwards, his background was visual effects. That's where he came from originally before going into directing. Um, so he's got a great command over this stuff. But for me, like this one, I remember the first time I saw it, I was so happy because my worry was, are they going to quash out the Gareth Edwards style? And they don't in this opening scene at all. Like this opening scene is pure like gareth it feels documentary but in a beautiful elegant way the tones and colors are great he's got great actors so you got mads mickelson who's galen urso who people know from pusher and bleeder he's in casino royale and doctor strange he's a really great actor but yeah ben mendelson he's one of my absolute favorite actors uh, oh, working today my favorite he, he's so good he's from so animal good. kingdom place beyond the pine slow west bloodline the tv show which is a fantastic tv show and Mississippi Grind, which is one of my, probably my favorite performance by him. He's, he's So he's, good. You know Groucho almost ate him? <laughs> oh, yeah, you said. You ran into him. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, yeah, so I'm just like, to see a baddie, and it's obvious, obviously he's the baddie, but to see a baddie like this, 
where he's just so immediately so fucking good and he's having this conversation with someone who clearly they used to be friends at some point mm-hmm. and you know deviated massively in what their beliefs were and when Mads Mikkelsen lies to him and says well it has been you know it's been hard since my wife died and just the <laughs> look in Ben Mendelsohn's face and he feels genuine and he plays it so well where it's like when she does turn up he's not at all surprised because he's completely believes that he could be lying but at the same time there's just like so much emotion in there, you know. He's like, he's so good. Yeah, that's totally like he's he's sort of the first Star Wars villain, I think. You know, let's let's like in these new ones, let's like pair him up against um, Donald Gleason's character, General Hux, which is like so over the top and so hammy. And here you have something that's just like really grounded, layered, like incredibly layered from the get go, and just restrained like his restraint in this of like playing that scene and playing the lie as well like you're saying is just yeah for me the the tone of this from the get-go is just uh is great and for me it's like it speaks the thing i have always loved about gareth edwards is is just his care for his characters like he just lets them kind of be and breathe and you get that from this moment well it's for me it's a weird double-edged sword which we'll get to more later on in the movie because there's some things here with the characters that don't work for me much like in Godzilla to be honest but the tone here is so right uh, which is okay we're going somber but there's a gen- there's a gentleness there as well like what you know when he does say he's a farmer here and stuff and he says he's like enjoys the quiet and Ben Mendelsohn's you know replying is like it must get lonely I'd expect you know and it's just so it's not the kind of dialogue you'd normally get in a Star Wars film it's like you must be lonely it's so lovely and you're shooting through these long grasses in this kind of black beach. And you've got these like these stormtroopers that look fantastic. And then these little nods like the the stormtrooper doll that's lying on the ground, which is how they know the kid's there and stuff. And I'm completely in with this opening. I think it's okay. fantastic. Okay, so a quick little question that I want to propose, and this is going to probably recur throughout this film, is how do you feel... Because, okay, now we've established and we know that this is set timeline-wise before A New Hope. How do you feel about them bringing in, for example, new like stormtroopers that we haven't seen within the, the canon of the, the films before? Like inventing new, yeah, inventing new characters, essentially. I don't have a problem with the stormtroopers. I have not a problem, but as a character we'll get to later, that... Yeah, it does. On this viewing, well, under scrutiny, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. But we'll get to that later. But for the, for, for me, the Stormtroopers, if anything, they seem more like they're out of the Clone Wars for me. Um, I don't know why. There's something very regimented and sort of copycat with them. Uh, so I'm, I see them more like they're a remnant of a different faction of Stormtrooper. But. For sure. Yeah, uh, for me, I, I didn't uh, have a problem with it. Right. Yeah, I felt it in the first time i saw it at the cinema i was like mm, i don't know how i feel about that but watching it more and more i feel you're racist. that they're more attached to um they're more attached to krennic as well and so yeah it's personal hey he just likes the cut maybe black that year was in fashion you know and yeah. then like the the other stormtroopers were on the cutting edge white was going to be in fashion the year yeah. afterwards and you don't know and that uh held so then we cut from after this so saw guerrero appears and we cut to the titles and the theme that our beautifully Hunt. Bah, bah. There he goes, and then we cut to an older Jin 
Felicity Jones being held in a prison cell. We just have a moment of her. It's a very, very brief moment of her waking up, another alien prisoner sleeping across from her. Um, And then we kind of see through the cell doors. I I really like this shot. You sort of see through the cell doors to this greater, wider prison with, with stormtroopers going back and forth, guarding it. And that's our first introduction to adult Jin. And then we cut to the ring of Kathrine. And so here's another thing. So when we cut here in this film, unlike any of the previous ones, we have titles for the new planets that they go on to. Yeah. yeah first time. I like it. Helps yeah. me understand. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it so much. <laughs> on my first viewing, I really didn't like it. I don't mind it now. My issue was, okay, with this one, Ring of Catherine, you, we haven't heard the name before. But moving forward in the film, often we have characters repeatedly saying what planet they're going to. And then it cuts to the, them going to that planet with the title of the planet. And for me, it was just like, I don't need the extra information. of, like It just felt, it, it felt a little unnecessary. But anyway. I do, uh, I do feel normally lost though, in a lot of Star Wars films, which can be fine. Sometimes that's kind of nice to feel lost in that universe. But yeah, as we'll get to in the next podcast, there's a lot of planets. Like I had people coming out of The Last Jedi thinking that the last battle had happened on Hoth. You know, it's like... Interesting. I, I think it is kind of nice to have a little bit of an extra information for, you know, the normal people like me. All you have to do is tap me on the shoulder and I'll give you a detailed rundown <laughs> of that planet. <laughs> uh, so we're on the Ring of Kathrine, which is an outpost in an asteroid field. And we see a man wandering through the dark alleys and crowds. And this is a really cool little set of just, yeah, this sort of, it's sort of a bit like Moss Eisley, but at night, but also sort of like Coruscant. It's kind of got a neon-y sort of vibe, sort of like Force Awakens again. We're getting less CGI. We're getting actual sets. We're getting lots of alien creatures and different costumes and mixture of puppets and whatnot. Stormtroopers are guarding through this little outpost. And we find Cassian, played by Diego Luna, who's wandering through and he finds another man and he asks this man if he has had any word from Jeddah. And the man tells Cassian that an Imperial pilot there has defected and said that they're building a super weapon using the Kyber crystals, which they're collecting from the old Jedi temples on Jeddah. Jeddah was once the home of the Jedi. Uh, the ancient home of the Jedi. And the kyber crystals, as I said before, are used to build lightsabers. So the Imperials are collecting kyber crystals to build a superweapon, a planet killer, he calls it, and that someone called Urso sent him to an old friend called Saw. So, and then as they're having this conversation, stormtroopers approach and Cassian shoots them and the man starts to panic. And this bit like really caught me by surprise. Because you, at this point, you don't really know what's, you, you can't, I guess, no, you do know what side Cassian's on because he's, well, actually, maybe not because he's sort of just getting information. But the thing, he's trying to calm the man and then shoots him in the back. I was shocked. Which really yeah. surprised me in its sort yeah, of this is, brutality and violence, I guess. I think this is all, you know, it's very much a statement. Like, it really is. Like, this is, you know, it's... I mean, he, this is our Poe. This is our Han Solo character, clearly. This is the rogue guy who's a bit of a bad boy. But here he's really a bad boy. <laughs> like, he kills yeah. people. But yeah. it's... Yeah. It does confuse you. I mean, in a good way, it questions his, 
makes you question if he's good or bad and you know yeah for a while so and we get into some interesting morality later with that which i like Uh, yeah that's that's what i was about to say it sort of i think it sets the tone of that the kind of theme like okay it's going to be more adult and it's going to really explore the the cost of war what you do yeah regardless of what side you're on i will say that i'm not like this whole scene yeah like after a very strong beginning this felt very just expositional to me like this is a scene where i was like all right i'm getting the information that you need me to get but it didn't feel that great or that dynamic or even the way he shoots him it's kind of like off screen and it's just a flash of red and the noise kind of thing like it didn't yeah i don't know i was like all right we've done that scene because we had to do that scene let's get on with the movie for sure and then we cut to Jeddah, which is an Imperial-occupied moon, and a prisoner is taken to some men. And the prisoner is Riz Ahmed, who's playing the Imperial pilot that defected, uh, called Bodhi. They then throw a mask over his head. Despite his protestations, he's insisting that he has a message for Saw Guerrera, and he thinks that the people that have captured him is Saw, but they put a, a mask over a bag over his head and... and shuffle him away and then we go to this big wide shot which reveals that the rocky structure that they're standing near is actually a fallen sort of statue of a jedi master oh really yeah cool. really really cool and this was in one <laughs> of the trailers i remember this was in one of the trailers i can't remember if it was you al or another friend and i was like i remember sp- spotting it and then saying oh did you guys see the the Jedi statue, and you're like, what? And I was like, look, like when they zoom out, it's really cool. How did you know it was a Jedi statue? Because I saw it, and I was just like, what What is that? He's got the robe, he's got the beard, and he's holding a lightsaber that's broken kind of thing. Oh, maybe I didn't see that part of it. (laughs) But it is like, it's all, no, it is kind of subtle. Like, you get the wide for only a few seconds. Okay. It's really cool. And I really love the guy who, I don't know know, even if he has a name, but the sort of half mechanical-faced guy Mm -hmm. who takes, takes him hostage fucking cool design i love him he's actually a bit scary yeah he's actually uh, star wars fans are probably gonna butcher me but i feel like he's or his species anyway is in the prequels right and is certainly in some of the animated stuff yeah we got a few crossovers here i think one of the jedi masters might be of that sort of species but race alien race i don't know where he's going anyway yeah he does look awesome so after that after bodhi is taken away we cut back to uh, Wobani, which is the planet that Jin was held on. And she's being transported to an Imperial labor camp in this cool Imperial transport. And as she's being transported, the doors are blasted open and rebel soldiers enter. But Jin fights them off um, and she tries to escape from the transport. And as she leaps out, she is caught by a giant tall droid who then throws her to the ground. And that giant droid oh. is K2SO. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, man. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to test because I wanted, I have a question here. Like, people have a lot of varying feelings about this movie. Most people do tend to love the robot because it's part of the formula of Star Wars that they've created, which is that it's about, you know, you need droids and after BB 8, you need another droid that's kind of the humor element. Uh, but no one seems to remember this droid's name. <laughs> nobody does um, and i had to even writing down my thing i had to look it up like five times <laughs> so i was going to ask like do you guys uh, i mean i guess do you do you like him is one thing but also do you even remember his name at any point christina you want to uh, go first <clears throat> okay i had to look up his name and i like him but i didn't love him like the other ones you know what i mean I knew he was supposed to t- 
take that place of the other ones, but I don't know what it was. There's just something that didn't pull on my heartstrings enough with him for some reason. I don't know what it was. Maybe you guys could shine light on that. You just, I mean, I think BB-8 is easy to project yourself into because BB-8 is like a child. Yeah. And just cute. There's no voice, you know. And R2-D2 is kind of similar to that. C-3PO, yeah, I think he's more contiguous. I still love Whereas... CP3, C-3PO. I like uh, CP3. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas K-2SO is really like, when I remember when I first came out of it, I was kind of pissed. Not pissed, but like, I enjoyed him. But I was like, oh, great. Disney are just ticking that box off. We have to have a droid in every movie. Now I'm much more accepting of it because it definitely needs humor in this film. Yeah, it does. And he's a good conduit for it. Mm-hmm. But he's basically, if you took Marv from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and combined Marv with like Niles from Frasier, <laughs> that's basically how <laughs> that, I see him. That is very good. I've never thought of it like that. That is very <laughs> funny. It's just like really depressing, but with a very elegant sort of English way of speaking about it. And I, I love him. I really do. And I watched yeah. it with my mom. And she she hadn't seen it before, and she absolutely loved him. I, I absolutely but he's love, a very love him too. Sarcastic humor. Like I I didn't remember his name. Doing this breakdown and having to write it down every few minutes has <laughs> implanted it in my brain. But but yeah, I absolutely love him. You know, you spoke about BB-8 being childlike. R2, you know, they have a very much an innocence and a sort of purity to him. And the great thing about him is he's this re remodeled, reprogrammed imperial droid. And there's this kind of, I love that sort of wariness and sarcasm and and almost sort of just, you know, rationality that's like, that isn't annoying like uh, 3PO, that is just sort of very brutal and, and fits the to- tone, yeah, of this film, but is just very, very funny. Like, he's, he's great. He's really great. <laughs> Yeah, no, I really love him. But it is very much, it's an English style of humor. Like, it really is. It's so deadpan and sarcastic. And for me, it works perfectly. This scene actually apparently was part of the reshoots. Um, originally, she was just going to go from when you, from being straight with the, sorry, with the rebellion um, and having a conversation with them. And they realized they needed to show a little bit more of how she gets out of it. The other detail I love in this scene is those two stormtroopers how much they're covered in mud and sand. Ah, uh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. They just look dirty and like they've been out in the world and doing things. And Ah, uh, yeah. Like so them. that's a really good point, Al, because we spoke about one of the things we all loved in A New Hope was the grittiness and the griminess and how everything looked really used. And I feel like in this film, the I think I mentioned it already before, like the, the set and costume design, I think they just nailed yeah, really they really it's, did in this one. It's incredible. It just, like, how do you take that job of we need to nail what it looked like in 1978 of how they thought the future, well, not the future, but, you know, like a different sort of alternative sort of space sort of world was going to look, but also it has to look acceptable to now. And Gareth apparently had very strong rules with that. He really was like, you can only use the same materials that they worked with back then. You can only, like, he was very, very made sure. Yeah, visually, it just really, everything was so beautiful visually. Yeah. I think the art design so is spectacular good. in this mm-hmm. film. For sure. So after she's caught, we we meet up with her again on Yavin 4, which is a planet we know from A New Hope, where they launched, the Rebel fleet launches their attack on the Death Star at the Rebel Alliance headquarters. I can't remember. I didn't put it in my notes. Maybe it's later. But do we see Tower Man? 
our little friend in the tower with the... He's coming. Don't worry. I've got okay, him Okay, good. I, I knew he comes somewhere, but I wasn't sure. So at this point, Jin is being interrogated by the rebel leaders. Cassian is there. And then Mon, Mon Mothma, who we know from Return of the Jedi and who is also in the prequels in Revenge of the Sith and the actress that played Mon Mothma in Revenge of the Sith Returns to play Mon Mothma in this, which I thought was really cool. Although I think I found really interesting was I saw a quote from Kathleen Kennedy and I don't know at what point this came out, but she said that there is no attempt being made to carry characters from the standalone films in and out of the saga episodes, but they clearly break that rule very, very quickly. <laughs> Straight away. in that Very quickly. So yeah, Mon Mothma's there and they're, telling Jin that they're trying to get the location of her father because they need to know about this weapon that he's involved in building and they ask her basically yeah if she will be part of like help the rebellion and they also say that they need the help of Saw Gerrera who's been fighting on his own since he split with the rebellion and so Saw Gerrera is was a veteran from the Clone Wars and he's also in the um rebels um animated series yeah um, and he's in the clone wars series as well and the clone wars, as yeah. is one other character that we get in this scene yeah but in a very weird shot because we actually get proper star wars music for a second yeah so they're revealing that they need to stop uh, they need his plan to stop the emperor developing this super weapon and they're having this and then for a split second i think this is who you're talking about we get jimmy smith as bail organa who was in all the prequels and is princess leia's uh, dad appear from the shadows and sort of just acknowledge what's going on in the meeting without saying anything. But it's really weird because the way they do it in the film is they film it for us. So you get this sort of, he comes out of the shadows, the camera pans in towards him, we get classic Star Wars music, but it, we're looking from Felicity Jones's character's point of view, so it's as if it means something to her. So I remember the first time I watched it, I forgot who he was, I really did, and I thought, oh, wow, he must be important to her for some reason. And then they never come back to it again because, no, it's just for us as the it fans. It's totally for us and totally good. breaking that thing that Kathleen Kennedy said. Yeah, no, again, like in one scene twice, breaking it. And this whole scene for me is the beginning of the deflation of a problem that I do have with both Godzilla and this movie, which is that Gareth, I feel, is so determined to ground these fantastical science fiction worlds which i respect immensely and he does such a great job of that visually and with good casting that the problem is i don't i'm left cold like the writing isn't good enough and to for it it's not that it's bad it's just not good enough for me to feel really invested if people are all being very 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 serious if you're being very very serious it's like it's got to be to an incredible level, you know, in terms of what you're doing. And instead, I feel Gareth is shooting it that way. But what I'm getting from it is, okay, I don't really feel... I appreciate we're only 15, 20 minutes into the movie, but I don't feel I know who Felicity Jones is. I don't really care. I liked her as a kid because she's a kid and she's vulnerable. But now I'm just getting this very silent, quite grumpy, sassy person. And we have... Is it Cassian, isn't it? The guy... And he's obviously super serious and we've seen him kill someone already. So it feels like the film's really trying to bat a home. Look, this is somber. This is serious, which I do appreciate. But then I'm like, because of that, I don't really care about anybody yet, which is a problem for me. Interesting. Yep. That's, that's, uh, that's a fair point. So, yeah. So at that meeting, they, they tell that Jin has to go because she knows Saw Gerrera. He rescued her as a child. 
that they need her to go and contact him. So they send Jin and Cassian back to Jeddah. They prepare to depart. K2SO officially introduces himself to Jin and says that he's a reprogrammed Imperial droid. And at this point, Cassian is pulled aside and he's told by some commander to forget what he heard in the briefing. And he's told that Galen Urso is important to the development of the superweapon, but if he's found, he's not to be extracted. He's to be killed. Jin has a blaster, and at this point, Cassian tries to confiscate it, but she tells him that Jeddah is a war zone. And K2SO has a funny moment of like saying, well, why does she get a blaster? I, I don't get a blaster. <laughs> and then they take off, and then we get Tower Guy. <laughs> Crazy Dave up in his tower. <laughs> yeah. I said to my mom when we're watching this, I was like, oh, look, there's Crazy Dave. She's like, why is there always this guy in this tower? It's like, exactly. He's clearly, he's like, I'm gradually building a back history for Crazy Dave. Of He comes from like a really rich family and he could just never hold down a job because it's useless. So they just gave him this job. They've just built a little tower. It's like, go up in your tower and it's very important job, Dave. Very important. You got to scan all the ships that come and go. And you just see him doing it and then looking at it like, oh, that was... Yeah, I think one. we may have already said this, but he's like he's like Freddy in The Godfather. He's yeah. like the the, the 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 dumb useless brother. He's completely useless, but God bless him if he isn't still preoccupied with his little speed scanning device, so he can check how fast all those spaceships are. Exactly. What's he gonna do? Yeah, when one speed's too fast, <laughs> he's got to get down from his tower and go tell someone <laughs> that that one didn't go at the right speed. So we cut back to Jeddah, or what we think is Jeddah, and Bodhi is still being held and masked. And now we get the Saw Gerrera reveal, starting on his mechanical uh, robotic feet that clomp along on the ground. And it pans up, and we see a much older Saw Gerrera. He doesn't have the shaved head anymore. He's got, like, graying hair, and he's using a breathing apparatus. Bodhi reveals to him that he defected and that he wasn't caught because he insists they say that he was caught and that they stole the plans from him. And Bodhi's like, no, I defected. I wasn't caught. And that Galen gave him the plans and that they didn't, they didn't take them off him. And here there's like a really cool little moment where Saw Guerrero, it's cool for me anyway, Saw Guerrero uses, uses the breathing apparatus and there's a moment where the sound design sounds like vader and there's a reaction from there's a little reaction from bodhi like almost of terror and i don't know if that's intentional or not but for me it's just like that that's kind of cool if it was my mom turned to me and said does he have asthma and i said i guess a kind of asthma and she appreciated that as an asthma sufferer my mom said she would like more characters to have asthma in films oh, so cute. your mom's awesome so Saw tells uh, his guards to take Bodhi away and doesn't sort of really uh, believe what he's saying. How are you guys feeling about Forrest Whitaker, Saw Gerrera right now? You're the I'm fan, Christina. confused a little bit because I thought like, oh, he's a good guy. He's one of the good guys, one of the rebellions. But then, uh, then I was like, I don't know. Is he a good guy? I was... It's on the fence. I, I mean, I he is a good guy, but I got a little confused for a while because he just because of the way he was treating um, what's his name, Birdie, Birdie, yeah. I, and what I a, just, what about performance guys, wise? I mean, okay, I I think I don't know. I thought all of their performances were good. 
There's no question mark at the end of that. It's your opinion, Christine. I think I think so. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, this movie was. I have a lot of weird feelings about it, Ooh, but I don't right. want to give it like all away now. Feelings? <laughs> okay. For me, yeah. Sorry, you go, Al. But were you guys no, a little no, bit no, confused about like, is he good or bad? My problem with it is kind of what I was saying before is I have no problem with all these complicated characters. I think that's great. Like there's complicated lines being drawn on who is good and bad. My problem is, is that there's no one I'm clearly, I know I'm meant to be behind Jim, but I'm not getting much of her yet. We've mentioned her once as an adult really so far and well, properly. And I just don't, I, this is yet another character. It's like, well, who am I backing here? Because I'm not attached to the guy with the hat on his head and I'm not attached to Segura. But for me, I like Forrest Whitaker uh, a lot in certain films, Ghost Dog and things like that. I, I here he's playing it a little too over the top for me. He's a little yep. too hammy, and it's and it's not his performance. It's really just his speaking. I think his face does some great expressing. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. You mean the voice that he because he used a different yeah. voice? It's yeah. just a little over the top for me. I t- I totally agree with you. I feel the exact same way. Like Bethany and I rewatching it yeah immediately sort of reacted to each other like oh my god like you know it's 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 from the get-go is setting this sort of grounded more serious tone and whether this is right or wrong like his performance comes in and it becomes very i guess like classic star wars so it's it's sort of he fits mm-hmm. in those kind of sagas. character yeah like very character driven very yeah a bit over the top hammy and and yeah it, it is just the voice it just feels very and he is deliberate. also up a third character from he's from the Clone Wars cartoons mm-hmm. and the Star Wars Rebels cartoons. So if people want to, you get to see his younger years documented there. He is like a fan. For kids, he's a fan favorite. So it's kind of weird. It's like, I don't feel this is a kid's film as much. And yet we're getting this nod to a kid's cartoon in it, which yep. is strange. Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah. So huh. now we cut to some Star Destroyers that are flying in front of the Death Star as the weapon front is being installed. I really like really the shot. Really cool shot, man. Yeah. yeah. They make you think it's stars with the shadow. Mm-hmm. And then you, as it moves by, you see it's just actually sort of reflection of the windows or whatever on the Death Star. Yeah. It's fucking cool. And so here we go. This is probably one of the here biggest controversial points of this film. We see um, Grant. We have to see if Christina got it. What? So what? don't reveal it necessarily. Okay. Help me. So... so as the Death Star weapon is being installed, we cut to Grand Moff Tarkin from A New Hope watching the building process as Krennic approaches. Grand Moff Tarkin... Okay, uh, I'll, let me just explain the scene. Grand Moff <laughs> Tarkin is watching... Yeah, I'm trying to set it up without revealing it to Christina. Grand Moff Tarkin is watching as Director Krennic approaches and he says that time is of the essence... And the Senate must not find out about this project as it would send planets flocking to the rebellion. And he says that they have to test it as soon as possible. So that's the essence of that scene. Christina, anything stand out for you? <laughs> anything seem weird to you? Don't worry, it's not a trick question. Like a lot of no, people I didn't. No, so but sometimes I kind some I found myself in this film spacing out a lot. Wow. Okay. Okay, so actually, what did I miss? Okay, so do you remember Grand Moff Tarkin from A New Hope, the first So the very Star Wars first film? one that we covered way back mm-hmm, from 1978, mm-hmm. yeah. there was a character, which was this character. The woman, and right? here he is. No, the no. guy, the guy. 
Uh, so it's the guy who you got Ben Mendelsohn, and then yeah. you got the other guy who Ben Mendelsohn's fighting with a lot about power over the Death Star. Okay, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So well, that other guy was in the original film from 1978. Okay. Magically, he's here again in this film. <laughs> so so this is cutting when you stuff. watch a films a week before the podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so- so this was a Just big go on. What deal. did I miss? Just tell me. Tell me. Okay. No, but this was a big deal. This was brand new tech okay. that they were really trying out on this film. Uh, they've done it before, but not to the level of sophistication and just brazen upfrontness that they did in this film. They brought back this character. Now, Gareth, uh, allegedly, from interviews I've read about this film, apparently was originally against this idea, but they convinced him over time that they could do it well enough. So he gave in. In my opinion, they did not do it well enough. Mm. Again, breaking just... Kathleen Kennedy's statement about crossover <laughs> characters. She never lies. <laughs> <laughs> so this, what they did, Christina, is what they do is you cast someone who has a very similar bone structure uh, to the person you're trying to replicate from before. So they actually cast a guy called Guy Henry, a guy called Guy Henry, who my mom got excited about because she recognized his voice immediately because he happens to, to do a good governor Tarkin voice as well because uh, he's on holby city and casualty in the uk which are these big hospital dramas okay so let me just add a little guy henry thing here so guy used to drink at my local pub when i lived in london yeah and he was a really lovely man uh my girlfriend at the time worked at the bar so i got to meet him through through her and every now and again we just have a little chat and he'd tell me about you know at this point i was a little bit out of the acting game and trying to find my feet and get back into it in London. And he was, he would tell me different stories. But anyway, the point of the story is, is that he's a very tall man. Now, Peter Cushing, who played Graham Moff Tarkin in New Hope, I get the impression that he's a very little man. Yeah. And so there's That's moments. That's awesome. You used to get that. Yeah. There's moments in this where I, I was like, I felt like Peter Cushing would have been smaller than Ben Mendelsohn, but they like pair them mm-hmm. up and they're almost the same height. So anyway, that's just... That's true. I hadn't thought point. about it in that way. Uh, but basically, yeah, Peter Cushing died, Christina. He did. I looked so, him up. I looked, in a, I looked him up. Guy Henry. Can confirm, dead. To see. So yeah, what they, I see now. What they decided to do was to bring back the same character to use Guy Henry basically as his face. But then what you do is you take scans of the older actor, the, the, the deceased actor's face, and you replace the other actor's face. So you're mm. essentially creating a completely CGI model, but using some bone structure as a guidance for it, essentially. I see. Okay, okay. Um, so it's this weird sort of pseudo-performance from someone. And it's something that is a very scary technology that they can get a lot more into now. They can get to the point where the directors can actually control, we can record people's and actors' performance and then control it afterwards and change Whoa, things. Whoa, that's insane. Um, which is a side of, of directing that I think is horrible. And takes away all the purity and for me that that's great about films and this is a side that's terrifying for me as well because with this technology it means they can bring back anybody so you know eventually you're going to get a movie with james dean heath ledger like everybody who's Uh, all the big actors who've ever died that's so they'll all be in one movie together yeah that's interesting they just have to find yes sorry no, sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say, it's interesting if you didn't notice because I know some people didn't. For me, I knew it was coming. Okay. So it's very hard for me to imagine not knowing about it. I didn't but it notice. it also was egregious to me. Like for me, particularly in Blu-ray, it was really egregious. Okay. It was like, wow. It looks so CGI. 
So it was weird, very weird for you. What about you, Alex? Um, I didn't know that it was coming. And And you uh, screamed. (laughs) Almost, almost. I I really, really struggled with this film on my first viewing. And I'll kind of maybe get into that as when we wrap this up. But I really struggled. I went to a later session. I was a little bit tired. So there was a part of me that's like, I'm just tired. I need to focus. But there were Okay, wait. That's what I thought too. Yeah. I thought like maybe I struggling with this so much because I was tired. Yeah. But so I, I definitely I had that feeling. I don't think that's the thing. And when I saw Graham Moff Tarkin, initially when, when in the opening shot and you see him watching, I was like, oh, they're going to do sort of what they did at the end of Revenge of the Sith, where it was like just a little kind of cutaway shot. He's present. And that was my whole feeling about going into this. It was like, okay, I know I, for me as a fan, I wanted these characters to be like that we maybe acknowledge their presence in the world, but not see them. And so when he turned around and started talking and doing this whole scene, I was just sitting there being like, what the fuck is this? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? And woke then, up then, didn't you? Yeah, I woke up then. And then the scene ended. I was like, okay, he's done. Like we've, we've, they've given us a bit of Graham off Tarkin. Oh boy. He is a mainstay character in this movie. And it was interesting watching it the other day on a smaller screen. I was a little bit more accepting of it, actually. But I'll, 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 I'll go through all of that in the wrap-up. But yeah. Okay. So moving on, we I cut... Was, I was uh, not. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> Did you have anything to add, Al? No, I was just say I was not. I was not accepting. It's still, for me, such a huge sore thumb in this movie that adds to any of the other problems that I'm having and it's impossible for me to get over that particular one. I try to learn to get over the music, but I find it difficult. But this is one where it's just so egregious to me. It's funny because we have the three levels of feelings for this one moment. So Christine, just to Hmm. clarify again, Christine, you didn't you didn't know it was you didn't think Noah was a CGI character? I don't think so. (laughs) She thought Jar Jar Binks was real, so (laughs) you know, I feel like sometimes I mean, I, now I really want to like rewatch that to see. But like sometimes, if I'm not interested in the scene, I just kind mm, of glaze over it. Way. You know, it's fine. Yeah. And maybe that's me not doing my job well. No, no if it's as not a holding podcaster, your I'd just no, be, no, no. I'd be really interested as well to have hear other people that are quite new to the the franchise going into that film if if. Yeah, how they respond to that. That's really interesting. I know other people who did not notice. I have yeah, friends wow. who did not notice at all. Okay, so, so I'm wow. not the only one. No, that's what I'm saying. So it works <sighs> for some people and that's fine. Right. Then I guess, you know, it's like, I guess they did their job. But for me, it did not work. We have a lot to get through. So let's okay, yeah, sorry, I'll pass really through smart. as quick as we can. So uh, now we cut to uh, a dream sequence that Jin's having. Uh, she's a child again. Her father's in an imperial uniform having a drink with Krennic. And it looks like they're on Coruscant, judging by the background. Coruscant, which we know from the prequels um, and the home of the Galactic Senate. And then she has a flash and remembers her time in the cave and her final hug with her mom or whatever and her rescue. And then we cut to her arriving on Jeddah and they fly past this ancient ruined or these ancient ruined Jedi temples. And as they land, we see a giant Star Destroyer above Jeddah City, which is sort of this big city on a giant sort of rock formation. And there's cargo ships flying back and forth. They're the ones that are transporting the kyber crystals, which they're looting from the temples. 
and they have a little moment again. He's like uh, with K K two S O being smart, saying like, oh, "I want to come," and they're like, "No, you wait here. We're not going to get into any trouble." And we cut back to Bodhi, who's being interrogated by Borg Gullet, who's a giant octopus type creature that has a the abilities to read a person's mind to gather the truth. But Saul Guerrero warns that uh, often at the end of such an interrogation, people will lose their minds. And so we see these tentacles wrap around Bodhi. That's when I thought, maybe he's evil. Maybe he's not evil character. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty mean. He's a bad man. Bad no, man. I'll tell you what. Bad like, man. I, I, I love I love I can't even pronounce his name but I love that creature when you see it coming at him from the darkness when his tentacles are all over him those effects don't look very good to me they look pretty hokey but when you see it just like from afar I think it's really cool and I think we have lots of cool creatures in this movie and for the most part they're not CGI which I appreciate or they're CGI accentuated Mm -hmm. and then we cut to them wandering through the city they bump into and here's a very like very very deliberate fan service moment where uh, Jin bumps into the guys from the cantina on Moss Eisley. Oh God, I forgot their names. Sorry, Star Wars fans. The ones that approach Luke and Obi-Wan cuts the hand off. We're wanted on 12 star systems or whatever. Did you get that one, Christina? (laughs) Guys, sorry. They literally bump into them for a second and they turn around. And uh, my mom, even weirdly, like, God knows when she's last saw a new hope, but she's like, I know those two guys. <laughs> like, that yep. is amazing. I tell you what, this one I'm okay with. Even though it doesn't really make sense, they're on the wrong planet. Like, yeah, I think about to, and as we're about to see, bad things are about to happen to this planet. So they would have had to have gotten off very, very quickly after this bump up to go and meet Luke in a bar somewhere to cut, to get a, one of their arms cut off. Um, but I'm kind of fine with this one. This is like yeah. a, a... I mean, they, they got the look exactly, right? Got the makeup, yeah. right? So, Yeah, so they wandered through uh, the city and the city is on high alert and there's calls sort of emanating through the city from Imperial speakers saying that they're looking for Bodhi, uh, the pilot that defected. And then we find a blind man who is Chirrut Emway, who... Donnie Yen! Who Donnie Yen, played by Donnie Yen, who amongst this sort of crowd and chaos, calls out to Jin. Um, and he tells her, she's like, are you talking to me? And he's like, yes, the strongest stars have hearts of Kaiba. And she's like, oh, hmm. And Cassian reveals to to Jin that the two men, that Chirrut Emwe and Baze, his sidekick, Baze Malbus, are the guardians of the wills. They're there to protect the temple's kyber crystals and in sort of expanded universe the guardians of the wills um and the shaman of the wills are the ones that qui-gon jinn and gains the knowledge to become a mortal and to become one with the force and become a force ghost so there's that kind force of ghost. connectivity christina you looked excited for a second you're okay um how do you say his name chirrut chirrut yeah chirrut you can call him donnie yeah yeah i love what? chirrut <laughs> yeah, I love and I love Baze. Is it Baze? His mm-hmm, sidekick? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say right now <laughs> I really enjoyed them. So, And then I will announced... go into it more later. Okay. I think this is one of the best and one of the worst things with the film. Because when they announced Donnie Yen, 
I was so excited because I love Donnie Yen. I'm going to have for about 15 years. He He's now sadly at the age where he can't be in peak physical condition anymore. But for many years, he was the greatest martial artist in the entire world. And he did incredible films. But he really started in like the Iron Monkey trilogy, which I wasn't such a big fan of. Uh, but Killzone, Dragon Tiger Gate, Flashpoint. And he's in the Ip Man main films. There's a lot of Ip Man films, but he's in the main ones. You can watch some of them on Netflix. Highly recommend it. They're kind of weird, very Chinese, you know, period, like cheesy. I don't think people like a lot of the film, but if the martial arts in it is the best directed martial arts in history. Like it's phenomenal wushu like performance. And he's, yeah, wushu. Shut up. That's what it's called. And he's so charismatic and he's so enjoyable to watch and his physical presence is amazing. They don't really use him in this. He doesn't do anything that isn't a breeze for him to do <laughs> in this film. Mm, but, but just I seeing him, him, it's exciting. No, I find him really exciting. But here's the thing, and I'm only starting to realizing it on this watch, is my problem is, is you start off in this really somber place, which I like, where they're trying to ground the film and make it really serious. And then I'm feeling, well, I'm not attached, though, to Felicity Jones or really Cassian. Cassian maybe a little bit more, but definitely not my lead, which is Felicity Jones. She's got the right face for it, the right look, but I'm just not attaching to her because we're not getting personal And she's doing a good job. Like, I yeah. don't think she's yeah, doing... Sure. She's acting really Absolutely. great. Like, Absolutely, but it's just not much. This it's just I not know, there. She's I not know. having really dialogue scenes. We're not I really know. seeing personal moments with her. And then we get introduced to these other characters. We get Donnie Yen, and we get yeah, uh, uh, Buzz. The guy I can never say Baze. Baze. Baze Melbus. Him, I and mean, of course you know uh, whatever the robot. I forget his name. K two S O. K two S O. K two. And it's like we're creating this group gradually, yeah. and these group of people are more Star Wars-y. Like, they are more character. Like, Donnie Yen is more of a cartoon character than the other two. And so is Baze. And it's great. <laughs> and as they're introduced, I start to realize, you know what, maybe I don't want the super serious Star Wars story. <laughs> maybe what I want is they can play it more grounded, but you need some color. And the problem is, is my lead two characters aren't the color. And I think about the classic Star Wars films where it works. It's like, sure, Luke's a bit flaccid. <laughs> but... He's a good, like, he is, though. He's just kind of limp, really. But he's he's got a good grounding to him as a simple hero. I know he's a hero, you know? And then around him, you've got these very colorful characters like Han Solo and Chewie. And, like, and, and with this one, it's like, my lead characters are not behind them. And you keep bringing in new characters that I like more. I know. Okay, so I'm just going to give it away now. True <laughs> and Baze, they're the only ones I really cared about. But the thing is... For for me though, I with the building of this ensemble, I for my experiences like with repeated viewings, I care about them as an ensemble and the stakes of them together and their together, yeah, and the and the and the kind of the 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 how they fill the gaps of of yeah, like what's lacking in other. Jin as a lead character, yeah, yeah. you know, for me, I, I kind could... of that's how I have started to to really view it and appreciate it. I think. I agree. I think there's almost enough there for Cassian, as we'll get to in a, in a bit. But with Felicity Jones' character, with Jin, I don't... I don't. I, mean, I spent most of the movie not even know what her fucking name was. Like, it's... I don't get enough from her character at all. Like, what has she been doing since she was a kid? I get nothing. I wonder that too. I wonder Other that. than she ends up in prison when we meet her. So it's like, okay, well, I guess she's done some bad things. Mm-hmm. But we don't even get her saying that line from the trailer where she's in that first interview with the interview, where she's first like being taken by the, sorry, the rebels. Oh, where she says, And yeah. she says, 
yeah, I'm a rebel, so I rebel. Like, we don't even get anything assertive um, from her. Yeah. She's just a, a blank line. page. Yeah, they cut it from the fucking film. Well, we do get it. She's a blank page. We do get some of her backstory coming up about growing up with Saw and how she sure. contributed. But sure. it's interesting if, but it's, yeah, if you're not, if at this point you're not with her, how that can easily just slip away as well. It's, it's all too little, too late for me when we get to stuff with her. Yeah. It really is. Okay, so yeah, uh, we've met Chirrut and Baze, and they s- explain that there's nothing left to collect as far as kyber crystals. For me, the whole sort of echoes of the Force and the Jedi and this sense that it's already becoming myth, I really like that it's that it's it's littered in there, but it's that it's already there's this sense within this world that it's like these it's ancient history kind of thing. So they're in the city. Cassian senses that it's ready to blow. He looks around. There's Imperial troops marching through and he sees in the rooftops that there's an ambush is being prepared. And this ambush starts. Blaster fight starts. Jin notices a crying child, goes to protect her. Cassian shoots rebels um, who are about to throw a bomb close to where Jin is. And the rebels unload, dis- dismantle the, the stormtroopers and take all the kyber crystals back. And Jin and Cassian try to escape, but they're cornered by stormtroopers. And Jin... Uh, looks out like clearly looks after herself and knocks out all these stormtroopers. And there's kind of a moment here that echoes Force Awakens of Finn looking at Daisy Ridley and being like, "Whoa, she can handle herself." And it's kind of a very much an echo of, "Wow, this is a woman Women that can, can really look after herself." With a, a male character acknowledging that, which is kind of, I think, but like I think we said right. in the other one, it'll be kind of a little bit sort of. Yeah, I, I think they do that better here. But I think you're right in terms of like. Like, I mean, yeah, just think about that. Think about how we get introduced to Rey in Force Awakens. She doesn't really say much, but just yeah. those few private moments with her and her daily life, yeah. we get on board with her character. For sure. In this film, it's like, yeah, you get to these moments, and so I think she's a great, I think Felicity Jones is a great female lead. And the char- but like, but I just, there's nothing there. And we get this horrible scene in this scene of her saving a kid who's crying. And it's just like, it's so forced to just make you go, oh, okay, she's a good person because she saved this kid who's crying. Mm-hmm. But there's just nothing personal, you know, yeah. about her character for me. I agree. So, I second thank that. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> good, good, good. Just a quick little mention of at the end of the scene where she's looking after herself, she co- she shoots a K2 droid and we think it's K2SO and then he suddenly appears around the corner and he's like, how did you know that wasn't me? And I think... <laughs> Which is just really He's a joy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was cute. That so, was cute. Look, he got K2 me at that one. S O hater. I don't uh, hate him. I don't. No, that's fine. Christina. I like him, but I just I was waiting for him to to really pull me in like the other ones have. That's all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's but I don't like him. You hate I like him. No, Moving I on. like him. Moving on, there's uh, some guards inspecting a crashed X-Wing. Stormtroopers ask K2SO if he's taking Jin and Cassian as prisoners, and he plays along and gives Cassian a slap across the face, which is really awesome. That was and improv, ha- apparently. Really amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have an, an amazing uh, moment with Donnie Yen as Chirrut, where he says that they should be allowed to pass, and then he goes and attacks all the Stormtroopers and incapacitates them. But more arrive and Baze, who's got this amazing kind of shotgun shooter thing, just shoots them all. And they this ask is the only time we get to see Donnie Yen doing any martial arts in this. Yeah, movie. he does, this <laughs> which is a battle. real shame. And I don't like my mum. Well, 
I'm going to give you notes for my mum. She said, mm, he didn't need that line of, is your foot all right? Which I do agree. Oh, <laughs> Halfway yeah. through the battle, he like hits one in the foot. Is your foot all right? And it's like, you don't yeah. need that line. Because he does a great line at the end that you're about to get to. I think so. So yeah, he says uh, they should be like, oh, Baze, uh, and they ask, they ask if he's a Jedi, but Baze says, the Jedi are no more. There's only dreamers here. <laughs> <laughs> good, that's good. And yeah, what's the, I think I missed the line. I didn't note it down. What's the, the line? lines when they go to take him away because suddenly they get sieged by that same cool robot guy. Yeah, Saw's man takes them off to meet Cicero, Cicero, and. And they put her bags over all the heads. He said, are that's you kidding right. me? I'm blind. <laughs> yeah, very good line. Yeah, that's very classic Star Wars, I think. And it was just yeah. really right. And we have two yeah, forms really of humor now. We've had like K2SO, we've got one type of humor. And now we're like, oh, okay, we're going to get a bit of humor from this guy. Because this guy's really got that Yoda feel to him. Mm-hmm. He understands things to an elevated level a little bit. But so he doesn't take life too seriously, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of important here. Where's Yoda? Yeah, then, so he's taken away. Then all the Imperial ships retreat from Jeddah City. And we end up back in Saw's catacombs. I don't know if you notice here, a little Easter egg. Saw's men are playing are playing a more basic, non-AR version of the chess game that's on the Millennium Falcon. Loved it. Um, which is really cool. Pay attention, Christina. Cassian, Baze, and Chirrut are all in a cell. And Chirrut is meditating and meditating on a mantra that is repeated throughout this movie where he says i am one with the force and the force is with me and we have a moment cassian in a sort of han solo moment talking about the force and that he doubts it doubts that the force exists and so we're already getting this sense of the the jedi and the force are losing meaning in the galaxy now you get this good line as well from donnie yen in there which for me is actually one that i'll be honest every now and then i think about in my life in context of my own life which is where he says, he says, there's more than one sort of prison captain and I sense that you carry yours wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very nice. And I think that's great because it tells you a lot about Cassian. Like he really does. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's trapped in this cycle that he wants to get out of. But mm-hmm. Jin sees Saw. And this is where we spoke about. This is where we kind of get a, a deluge of, of their history and her history. But as you said, Al, for you, it was already at this point a little too late. Like you were already too late. much detached not- from her. Um, I was really excited for this moment to happen. I was like, okay, I'm really excited for them to see each other again. And I think, you know, we'll get what we're looking for. Yeah. So we find two. out here that, that Saw had protected Jin when he took her as mm-hmm. a child, basically trained her and she showed incredible ability being in his band of resistance fighters, uh, much better, I think he mentions, than some of his own men. But when she was 16 to protect her, because people were becoming aware of her identity, he dumped her somewhere and never came back for her in a, in a, and, and again basically because she's this a is, grumpy nightmare <laughs> again these are kind of echoes with with ray's story in force awakens about yeah. you know we've got a female lead who's been abandoned by family and is sort mm-hmm. of forced to to get on with it whereas with ray we have a very forced to connect with the force <laughs> yeah, I mean, with yeah, exactly. With Ray, we have a very hopeful and optimistic character, whereas with Jin, it's just like she's just so closed, so you know? closed, yeah, so closed. And it's like this is forty-five minutes into the film, and I'm just not. It's like I, I, I don't mind not knowing her back history. I'm all fine, but like I just haven't shared what's under her skin at any point. Cassian, I'm getting those little moments yeah. where you see things are hard for him, whereas with her, she's just like shut down, shut down, shut down, which yeah. is fine theoretically 
but then you have to find different ways to show me you know what's going on and i'm not sure. connecting so at this point saw uh, has galen's message that he got from bodhi and he he tells Jin that he believes that all of this is a trap to to have him killed and that Jin was sent to kill him uh, and she says that she wants the message from her father and so she sees saw plays the message and it is galen and he asks if she cares and uh yeah and plays this message where Galen's basically telling about the plans that he hid inside the Death Star as his means of like redeeming his his failures, basically. And that yeah, that that he put it in there to to get back at the Empire. I wrote here in my notes, saw us if she cares. Saw us Jin if she cares, and she says that the rebels have only brought her pain and the Imperial flag doesn't bother her if she doesn't look up. So basically saying she like doesn't up. give a shit about any of it. Because it's the good like, lines. But I like that. I like again that this battle that this sense of like yeah, there's there's no one isn't better than the other for her. I like that. It's just all it's all someone pain. In this mess of two people doing story, two people doing the script, and I presume Gareth had some words with the script as well. Someone in there is writing some really good lines throughout this because every now and then we get these good lines. Like it's not a problem if you don't look up. is a is a really good line. And funnily enough, as she says that, the Death Star hovers above Jeddah, and Tarkin is ready to report back to the Emperor. He says the Emperor and Vader weren't in attendance because he wanted to save Krennic from potential embarrassment. Krennic says the whole thing is ready to go. It can destroy the whole planet, but Tarkin refuses. He says they just need to make a statement, not a manifesto. So destroying the city. Is all they need today. We go back down to Jeddah. Uh, Cassian notices Bodhi in the cell next door. He's mumbling to himself, clearly lost his mind. And he tries to talk to him, but he's just a bit cuckoo. Oh, so sorry. Now Saw plays the message to Jin from her father. And he reveals how he lied to protect her and planned his revenge from within. And at this point, the Death Star creates an eclipse. And the ignition begins and it destroys Jeddah City in the distance. And the message from Galen stops... Cassian trips the prison door. He tells the guardians to get the pilot and he will rescue Jin. And so she goes to her. She wants Saw to go with them, but he decides to no longer run. And they escape. K2SO manages to get them just as this sort of ripple explosion from Jeddah City starts to reach them and creates the world to sort of like fold in on itself. And they escape in hyperdrive just in time. There, there are two moments in this which I really, really love. Which is one which which is both funny and I think chilling, which is when you cut to K2 and he's waiting for them in the ship and he says, there's a problem with the horizon. There's no horizon. Yep. <laughs> and you just see like it all like being raised. Uh, but there's no music during mm-hmm. that section. Like The music kicks in later and it's genuinely quite chilling. And we were talking about it before in one of the prequels when you see the planets get blown up. And I do find the destruction of the Death Star is... is it is actually quite terrifying when you're on that planet with them it is quite scary and then for me it's accented again by another brilliant line delivered really well it's when you then go to the death star you see the explosion from the city like drifting through space arguably too close to the death star i think it looked like it was going to hit the death star the debris from it all but it looks beautiful and then you cut inside and you get ben mendelson just like looking down and just saying oh it's beautiful yeah and it's yeah. so good yep such yeah. a great line yeah, so um, and just such a moment you wouldn't get in any other Star Wars movie. You're yeah, right. it's just this sort of tender mm-hmm. and a genuine, and it's not a malicious. Oh, it's beautiful. Like, ha ha ha! It's like a genuine. Oh, it's really beautiful, and it is. 
you look and again, yeah. I think that's also credit to Ben Mendelsohn of mm-hmm. finding yes. that that tone and those the sort of nuance in that and not playing, yeah, not playing it in a hammy. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a there's a sincerity in in that, and there, you know, you you sense the the care in his accomplishment, which is really cool. So yeah, well, actually, we cut back after this as they escape. Krennic is complimented by Tarkin. So at this point, we're all in with Tarkin. He is in the film. It's not a brief little appearance. He is in the film. He is in the film. He says that he will take over control from the weapon from Krennic, a weapon he suggested many years ago, um, which kind of ties it in, you could argue, I uh, say, with, with Revenge of the Sith when we see Grand Moff Tarkin and the Emperor Invader at the very early stages of its construction. Uh, he says that Krennic has proved incompetent and that the pilot from, came from Edu, where Galen Erso is located. So basically, they, they sense that the rebels have got the plans or at least got the pilots. So Krennic says he's going to go there. He'll, he'll sort it out. The rebels also get the message that uh, Galen is on Edu, and it's decided that Urso must be killed. So now we have them on course to Edu. We have Cassian sort of secretly getting instructions from the rebellion that he has to, to go to Edu and kill Galen Urso. Bodhi reveals that he was sent by Galen, but it was too late. And Jean reveals that she saw a message and reveals her father's intentions, that, that he put a trap inside the Death Star and it can be destroyed and we have to get that message to the Rebellion. And Cassian's like, well, do you have the message? And she's like, nope. And so he doubts her, but Chirrut, good old Chirrut, he believes her. And she says that the Rebels need to go to Scarif to get the plans because on Scarif there's like an Imperial archive uh, where the plans will be kept. But they go ahead to Edu to get Galen Erso, or as they think they're going to rescue him, but he's going to be killed. They fly into Edu, which is a planet sort of in this perpetual storm. Bodhi, who's trying to lead them without avoid, with, whilst avoiding trackers uh, through the canyon, but they hit a rock structure and crash, and the rebels lose contact with them, and so order a strike on Edu. Chirrut, however, he senses that all is not right, and that Cassian is going to kill someone. So Jin leaves the ship to find him as Bodhi leads Cassian to, the, to a lookout. Um, Chirrut also goes and follows Jin and Baze wishes him luck and he says, he doesn't need luck. I have you. <laughs> Which I just love their little dynamic and relationship and sort yep. of how they've got each they're, other's They're literally back. like they're from a you know, PvP match. They're, like they're from Team Fortress. Like yeah, one's the yeah. healer, one's the big yeah. gun, one's the like you're collected this group of people that all assist each other in a good way. Yeah. They're so um, good. They're so good. So they, they all venture out. I like seeing you smile, Chris. At this point the rebels spot the rebels spot Galen. He's he's exited onto a landing bay, followed by uh, stormtroopers and engineers, just as Krennic arrives. Cassian sends Bodhi Bodhi away. Uh, realizing he can get a clear shot from this lookout. Now all the engineers are gathered and Krennic reveals that they know there's a traitor in the ranks and orders them to be shot, but Galen steps in and reveals that it was him and he asks that the engineers are spared. Cassian has Galen in his sights at this point, but is unable to shoot um, and Krennic orders the engineers to be executed. And at this point, Jin has stuck onto the platform and Cassian notices her through this, through his sight. Now the Rebel Alliance arrives... Get- in a really cool Sorry, sequence very, very... with uh, the X-Wings zooming through the canyons um, and they attack. Very quickly, very quickly. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't That's, hear you say sorry, very quickly. Sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just want to say this is this for me, by the way, we just passed the point. That's the turning point for me with Jen. Like this is the point where we're basically an hour into the movie 
and she suddenly becomes assertive. Like after she's seen that hologram from her father and yeah. stuff. This is, I didn't need her to be assertive about these things from the beginning, but I needed her to have purpose at the beginning. And this is the first time for me where it's like, oh, okay, she's actually has purpose now. And she's doing things like those ridiculous things we always talk about in these movies where they get to an outcrop, see like some stairs and point at it. And then they're there in the next shot where it would take you yes. 12 hours to get <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when she falls down that stormtrooper off of the platform, that's where the Wilhelm scream is, by the way, in this film. Nice. Uh, that stormtrooper. That Thank shot you. is purely there for the Wilhelm scream, by the way. There was no other reason. So, uh, yeah, so the Rebel Alliance arrives. And I, I love this shot as we see the X-Wings in the dark, stormy rain, kind of like zooming through this canyon in the dark. And they bomb the facility. Jin screams out to the, her father just as the platform is bombed and then a dogfight starts. The TIE fighters come out and Chirrut reveals that his, his, his walking staff, his stick, is actually an awesome crossbow-style shooter and he shoots down a TIE fighter with it. At this point, Krennic evacuates and Jin gets to her dying father just in time, but she's unable to save him. And Cassian finds her and takes her. KS-2O and Bodhi have stolen stolen an Imperial transport and they gather everyone and they leave. Now, as they're going, heading back to the rebel base, Jin confronts Cassian, uh, but Cassian is just very dismissive. He says that she's in shock and she says that they all knew what he was going to do. And he says, well, I didn't do it. That's right. Yeah. And she said rebel bombs killed him and he reveals that she can't pick and choose when she cares. And he has this cool speech that really reveals his backstory yeah, where he, he attacks her saying she can't pick and choose when she cares and that he's been fighting since he was six and he's not the only one that's, uh, and that she's not the only one that's lost everything. It's cool. Uh, it really works for me with him. Like he's complicated. Mm-hmm. Again, I feel I'm getting that back history from him a little late, but again, I understand him more than her for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it again, sort of, as I said, when at the start, when we first meet him and he shoots that guy, like you really understand with him the cost of war and the fact that he's prepared to do whatever it takes and sort of, you know, and then the cost that has on him. Uh, Which is something we haven't really had in a Star Wars film before is kind of the grayness of things. It's always been yeah. good and bad. And here's like, yep. okay, it's bad things that you have to do to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. there's a So there's a lot of grayness in this movie with him and then yeah. also with uh, Saw. <laughs> Saw. Saw. <laughs> <laughs> So Say now, okay, so now we cut to <laughs> yeah. a planet we may recognize from Revenge of the Sith, the fiery volcanic planet of Mustafar. <laughs> I hate that planet. Why um, would you go back when it's away. where you burnt to a crisp? I hate it. I think it's because it fuels his dark side rage, which gives him power. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just like, just like all Mario levels set in lava. Fucking yeah, pain go. in the ass. Gets you angry. So we return to Mustafa. Why, why are we here? Are we meeting with Trade Federation people? No. Krennic's transporter lands at a giant temple on Mustafa, and a robed figure enters and announces his arrival. And what we see is a brief shot of Vader completely, like not in his suit. Nappy. He's in a Bacta tank, and we just see the water kind of start to... Oh, yeah. ...to exit, and we see a brief shot of his scarred... Anakin head. Now, Mustafar was actually, and this this temple castle, I think, was actually an idea George Lucas had for the earlier films, for the original trilogy. 
but yeah, didn't have the the ability to to show it then. So it's interesting that they brought it back. Should they have? Anyway, Krennic meets <laughs> Vader. Yeah, so now we get Vader. The reveal: um, Krennic standing in a hallway, and a big a blast door opens up, and we see the iconic silhouette of Darth Vader, who meets Krennic. Says that he's not pleased with how things have transpired. He says that Krennic has to assure assure them that Urso hasn't compromised the weapon. And Krennic has a moment where he's like, so I get to still control the Death Star? And Vader choke holds him and turns around and says, don't choke on your aspirations. For me, this scene is utterly pointless. <laughs> it's completely pointless. There's no need for this entire scene. No need. Like, no need nothing, to see Vader now. It is pointless. Yeah. No, and it I makes really me wonder if this it. is a reshoot scene. It, have you got any alleged... Thing. I do have alleged information on this, but here's the thing. It's very easy, particularly as a Gareth Edwards fan, to go into this film, and I was aware of it the first time I saw it, of what if I come out and anything I like about it, I'm just going to say, well, that was a Gareth moment. And anything I don't like about it, I'm going to blame on Tony Gilroy or Disney or Kathleen Kennedy. And from some of the stuff I've learned, I don't think that's true. I really don't. Like, it is hard to tell. There are certain scenes in here that I like that Tony Gilroy had, I know, some involvement with, and plenty I don't like that Gareth definitely had involvement with. This is one... I'm not sure from alleged things, yes, this is a reshoot uh, scene, but you can't be sure about it. It For me, it reeks of reshoot because there's no purpose to it. There's no narrative purpose to it. There literally nothing is progressed in the in the plot of the film with this scene. And the way it's shot, that's all I have to say, just look at the way it's shot. It's not shot the way Gareth tends to shoot things. Uh, that doesn't mean he didn't. But this is certainly not in his normal style. This is all on sticks. This is all framed differently. It's all like long pans to stuff. It's a lot more cinematic in a traditional kind of way rather than his sort of more documentary way. I really don't like this scene. I don't even like how they introduce him. I don't like that it's from a shadow up. It feels cartoonish and completely out of place with the rest of the movie for me. Totally agree with you, man. Yeah, totally agree. I just... It's so pointless. I didn't like it when I saw it in the cinema. And, and as much as my feelings about this film as a whole have, have changed a lot over repeated viewings, my feelings on this have not. It's just really, really pointless and just so forced in. Forced. Well, like I say, it's God bless Ben Mendelsohn for like working against the CGI actor so well and then working mm-hmm. against the Darth Vader. You know, like just, he's working against some crazy things in this mm-hmm. film and he does a good job. Christina, Christina did you like scene. it? She's yeah. all excited just to no. see men in helmets. <laughs> <laughs> no. You mean the movie? No, Darth Vader. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. No. Didn't I think we're all in agreement then. Now we cut back to Jin, who's before the Rebel Council. And the Rebels are debating on what to do. And Jin urges them to send the best troops to Scarif. Now, little little uh, note about the planet Scarif and the name Scarif, which I hadn't known about until my housemate Carter told me this story and which I then looked up and read. And for some reason, this also just really makes me think of you, Alan, imagining something happening like this to you. Apparently, the planet was named Scarif because Gareth Edwards had been, was at a, presumably like a Starbucks or something. And told them <laughs> that his name was Gareth and got his coffee cup back and they had written Scarif. Oh, my oh I love that. That's amazing. That's funny. Uh, and he thought that that was just a, a perfect planet. Perfect sort of name. That is a good planet name. 
Our, our cool. friend of the podcast, Haruka, is always posting photos on her Instagram of different Starbucks <laughs> names because <laughs> people don't understand when you say Haruka. I love it. So, yeah, they're having... The scene, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, the has some of the worst background VO, by the way, that I've ever heard. It's really Wait, bad. Wait, in this scene? Yeah. Right. It's just like when... Sorry, you're about to get to it, so I'm not trying to skip through it. But, like, but when you get to like the bit where she speaks up and she tries to sort of rile the troops or rally the troops a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there's just people in the background they've just got in for background VO who just kind of like, what is she proposing? Let the yeah. girl speak! Yeah. <laughs> and it's just no. so dumb it's just oh. it's a little bit sort of wizard of ozzy yeah wizard of ozzy wizard of oz um, wizard of ozzy <laughs> whatever yeah so they're they're deciding what to do and she's like but rebe- rebellions are built on hope and the council however can't approve the mission because the odds are too great and like i said there's a lot of the we can't do that but we should <laughs> but again the the casting and the costume and set design i just can't get over it it just fits Try. and feels like a new hope. It's so good. Yeah, it is. That is really good about it. And I love the integration of the aliens again here. Like they just mm-hmm. feel real. There's a great sort of crossbreed of practical with CGI here. That's yep, wonderful. And so she leaves after they've. She's, yeah, they haven't been approved. But Cassian appears, and he has a group of rebels, and they say they want to support Jin, and they offer to volunteer. And and a, another Cassian line again, sort of playing with that theme of what you have to do in times of, of war where he says we've all done terrible things for the rebellion so they all get on board they get on board the imperial the imperial uh transporter that they they took from edu and this is when we get the first name of rogue one they're deciding what to go uh that they're, they're trying to leave and and communicate a guys like who are you and and jen's like say something and Bodhi says we're uh, rogue our call signs rogue rogue one um, and then we cut to a scene with Bail Organa, who we briefly saw in a very strange shot earlier on, and he's talking to Mon Mothma, and he says that he will return to Alderaan, and we know how that ends for him in A New Hope. Mon Mothma asks if his friend from the Clone Wars, his friend the Jedi, can help. And, and Bail Organa says, don't worry, I'll send for him through someone he trusts with his life. Did you pick up on all those... Bits, Christina, what all of that meant? Huh? What? <laughs> Do you know who Bail Organa to... was talking about? Which Jedi Mon Mothma was talking about? And who the person he can trust with his life is? Who? Tell me, Alex. Tell me. So you really didn't know? You didn't, you did, or you just glazed over that part? Okay, we had a, we had a glaze over that. Uh, so no, so Bail Organa is the adoptive, adoptive father of, of Leia, uh, Princess Leia. He's going back to Alderaan, which is the planet that is first destroyed by the Death Star in A New Hope. Mon Mothma asking if his friend the Jedi can help, the Jedi being Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Bail Organa says he will send for him through someone he trusts with his life, being Princess Leia, who in A New Hope sends the famous message, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes, 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 yes. I got that. I got that. So those I, like yeah, says, I got that. Yeah. I like. I like when he says, "I would trust her with my life." And then who yeah. do they like, get? Well, yeah, to... she's your fucking daughter, basically. But who <laughs> do they get to play the younger version of? Was that her? We'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll, there. we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. No spoilers, See, I did please. Get it. I did get it. I did get it. I did get it. <laughs> I just glazed over so, right now. Is what happened. <laughs> I fear though, I fear what Alex is about to do while he's all focusing on, oh, they name checked Obi Wan and they name checked Princess Leia. Yeah. Is he going to skip over the more important scene 
which is a blink if you and you might miss it, which is directly after this. Tower guy. Poor, poor crazy Dave. Yep, yep. Sad I've got him in my tower. notes. <laughs> and off goes their ship. Clearly, Christina had a terrible day. I don't know if his wife is cheating on him, but mm-hmm. he's, let's be honest, crazy Dave probably doesn't have a wife. But maybe his dad cut him off. Whatever happened, he's having a bad day. Can't even be bothered to scan. He the doesn't. He just thing, watches it. One thing he gets enjoyment from, and I tell you what, you watch that scene. I want that scene as a meme with sad music over it because he yeah. just looks so fed up with life and he's just watching the ship go <laughs> and you can just see him go, I can't even be bothered to raise yeah. my arm to scan it. He's had <laughs> a it's, all he gets, it's all he gets joy from and he can't even do it. Can you send me a meme? Sure. Thanks. <laughs> I'll work. Um, <laughs> So now Poor guy. Poor guy. we get to Scarif and the no, planet. No, who was it? Who was him, it? Was that Alex. Princess Leia? Was that really her? Who was We're it? Not at it yet, We're not at it yet. We're Damn not going to that bit. We're not going to the last Damn second you. of the movie. Don't spoil it. <laughs> so now we get to the uh, planet Scarif and the planet is has a planet-wide shield with a single access gate, which they can't go through. They can't just fly through. They need to get permission. And yeah, and, and I think Cassian says something like, if we fly through it, our ship will explode and we'll die in space. And K2SO says, not me, I can survive in space. <laughs> That's one of my favorite, favorite lines. Which is awesome. The cargo ship is then granted entry and we descend into Scarif, which is a tropical island planet made of like little... It is. Let's just flag oh, this though quickly, Sand Alex. <laughs> we need to flag this because my mom was saying, I said to my mom, there's no... She's like, oh, is he a Jedi when she first saw Donnie Yen? And I said, no, there's no Jedi in this. They made a statement beforehand. There won't be any Jedi. There won't be any lightsabers, really, or lightsaber battles. And there won't be any force used in this film. But... But he's connected the to the force. Later, he's yeah, force because it exists yeah. in the universer. And isn't what yeah. that what the force is? So, yeah, but he's not a Jedi. Yeah, sure. yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's what like they a, call he's like a force sensitive. <laughs> Good but one, Alex. We have this little moment <laughs> here which I love because when they're trying to get um, admission through the shield and it really doesn't look like it's going to go their way, Jin is holding one of the crystals that she was given as a child in her hand. And she's kind of just holding it and they focus on that. And then suddenly they give him magical kind of permission to go through the force field. Now, it's something where it could have just happened, but it also could have something to do with like the powers inherent to the crystal and the Jedi and stuff. And it's this wonderful moment, I think, because it's like it kind of sums up this movie a little bit in a nice way of like, well, it could be just a grounded, boring reason or it could actually be something a little bit magical and sort of force inherent. It's cool. I like it. Yeah, I, um, that's yeah. what I li- like about this is that the the Jedi and the Force and the sort of Force, the religious, it, it it pulls away from the prequel kind of scientific explanation of the Force, which sort of was just stupid, <laughs> and it brings it back into a much more spiritual kind of mythic thing here, which for could sure, be real or sure. it couldn't be real, and I love that they play that that kind of line of some people still believe Definitely. in it, and others are just like that is crazy stuff. Um, I also love that we get a tropical planet. Yep. It's so cool. Great to see in the film. The posters were a bit... Iffy. Iffy when they were released. (laughs) They were indeed. I think I remember you saying that they looked like a sort of photoshopped postcard with stormtroopers (laughs) thrust into it. Yeah, they really did. They were terrible. There's a particular Uh, wide one that is terrible. I I can see how how that... Could be. Oh, it was bad. It was However, bad. the world does look really cool. There's a citadel tower in the middle of all this, these little mini islands that has the Imperial archival data. And so as they land, Jin gives this one last speech to 
to the troops and she lays out the, the reality of what they're up against and that it's like 10 men make 10 men be like a hundred. It's sort of a Spartans kind of moment. Of, it is. Yeah, where it the is. 300. Only with less going. charisma. Yeah. With less charisma. <laughs> is that what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you didn't like, like this speech. We all might die, but I mean, it's the most we're getting from her. Yeah. So you know, I'll take it for sure. But it's no, it's not enough for me. And is this when she says, "May the force be with us"? She does. She does say yeah. that. So that's her little her last moment. May the force be with us. I really like that shot. I think, yeah, I really like. Even though there's a lot of coldness and it's, you don't really, I guess, get attached to her for a while. I really like Felicity Jones on screen. I think she's. Oh yeah, absolutely. She really f- just fits in this world, and I, I, I think she just is great. So we then, an in, an imperial inspection is conducted on the uh, transporter uh, while the others hide. And in classic Star Wars style, we've seen this so many times. The inspectors and troops go in, and there must be a cartoony style overpowering of them, and they end up doing the classic switcheroo. And come out and always they have they have the imperial gear on. And can they really yeah. always can, do that? Can we please do this at some point in our life? Like we have to, <laughs> we have to just like steal some people's costumes to get into yeah. somewhere. I love it. It also love- doesn't make any sense because there are a bunch of guards by the gate, like right yeah. next to their ship, and they watch these inspectors go by into the ship and then come out as different people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I remember thinking that you. There is a very deliberate shot of guards watching the guards go in. Yeah. If they had taken that out, maybe you could then just be like, oh, cool, okay. Nobody saw it. And then we get the line that's in every Star Wars film. Yep. But it's cut off, Alex. So it's cut off. So so as this is happening, uh, Krennic arrives on Scarif, and then we have K2SO, uh, Cassian, and Jin in disguise entering the base. And as they enter, K2SO is about to say the classic Star Wars line, I've got a bad feeling about, and Jin cuts him off. And it's Jin. Jin is the end of his sentence. Yeah. It's like, I've got a bad so feeling we don't, about we don't the get direction the... Disney's taking this franchise. Yeah. I've got a bad feeling about these reshoots. <laughs> and then we're inside the base. Now, a thing I really liked about this shot was that this was filmed at Canary Wharf Tube Station, I believe. Was it really? Uh, yeah, and they huh. overlaid the CGI uh, over it, which is really cool. I remember seeing a making of cool. and, and showing them shoot at what is very recognizably Canary Wharf Tube Station and, and how they overlaid it, which I thought was really, yeah, really clever because it still gives it a very real kind of tangible sort of feeling that it's a set mm-hmm, and not mm-hmm. just a, a green screen world. At this point, the ground forces are already starting to take out troopers. And we have a, a little Star Wars nod here where there's two stormtroopers talking about a little Easter egg. They're talking about the T-15 and they're saying that it's obsolete. So we, it's originally in A New Hope where we overhear two stormtroopers talking about a speeder there. It's thrown in The Force Awakens where they're like having, oh yeah, the so-and-so next model. Uh, so that's just a little Star Wars Easter egg that's Love thrown in. Love the tech. Love yeah. it. Love discussing their tech while bad things are happening around them. Uh, the troops well, are setting charges. Well, they also love their 70s moustaches, by the way, which there's a lot of in these A scenes. lot of them, yeah. A lot of the rebels are rocking those those moustaches, uh, especially one of the rebel pilots who we see a lot of in this battle. <laughs> yes. They're setting charges. Krennic, at this point, reveals he wants all the transmissions that Galen Urso ever sent. 
and now this is when the battle begins and in classic star wars style we have the sort of three or two or three points of action we get the beginning of the dogfight we get the troops on the ground and we get Jin and cassian trying to get the plans so the rebels set off all the explosives to distract the imperial forces and clear the way for Jin and cassian now at this point word gets back to tarkin who orders the death star to jump to scarif and to inform lord vader rebels confirming that the death star does have jumping does have hyperspeed yeah well i think it does in a new hope because it jumps from alderaan and then at the end jumps to yavin 4 fine no no, that's fine don't worry about it i thought i thought i'd seen something alex he might not fine don't worry about it continue yep yep uh sorry it's it's already been already been proven a rebel informs mon mothma that uh, the other rebels have gone to scarif so they scramble the rebel fleet and plan to go to scarif at this point we see we have a little cameo from R2 and 3PO as the Rebel fleet leave Yavin. What and now the are battle, they doing in a hangar? Shouldn't, what aren't they like, doing? Well, shouldn't he be okay. translating somewhere? Well, shouldn't they be on the... I mean, because we start A New Hope with them. I don't know. I don't... Yeah, I don't we like start this. A New There's Hope with them on the Tantive 4. Actually, There's yeah. There's another shot for me. It just does That's it. A, I don't... They don't... They shouldn't be there, should they? Yeah, because we have... You make a good point. That's interesting. Thank you. Hey, if you stab enough in the dark, you're going to hit someone eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so the battle on Scarif is raging and the Atats appear, which looks really, really cool as they're sort of stomping around this tropical island. The rebel fleet arrive, or some of the rebel fleet. Some get through the gate in time, others don't make it through. KS20 tells them that the shield is closed, meaning that they're trapped, but they need to open it to transmit the data to the rebel fleet above the planet. Cassian tells Bodhi to set up communication line with the rebel fleet to disable the shield battle rages on rebel pilots attack the atats bodhi tells his team to find the master switch to connect the comms link k2s uh, ks2o holds off troopers while Jin and cassian search the data vault and then she finds it she's going through a list of names and she's like stardust and she goes that's it because that was galen's nickname for her which he said Um, five times in the film because we had to (laughs) make sure we got that across and in a very, very sad moment, K2, KS2O locates the data file, but is overwhelmed by troopers. And he tells them to climb and broadcast the data to the, to the tower. And in his last act, uh, his last act is to destroy the blast door. So the troopers can't get in, but then he gets shot. And it's sad. It made me sad. So here's my thing with K2SO, which I only noticed in this scene, is when he passes like another one of his models. Nick, and he kind of looks at him for a second. So earlier on, I said it didn't bother me about the stormtroopers having black because, hey, just fashion, whatever. But once they've reintroduced R2-D2 and C-3PO to me, because my mum brought this up, and I kind of then was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. She was like, K2SO seems way more advanced than all the other droids that are around in A New Hope's time. And I was like, yeah, you're kind of right. Like, he just seems so much more articulate in terms of movement. That he is something for me that when I think about it under scrutiny, it's like, yeah, he doesn't fit this time. Like, he seems way yeah. more advanced than anything else there. But he's so Yeah, and he's like clearly used to be used by the Empire if there's like another version of yeah. him. Yeah. So it's like, where was he in all of the original trilogy mm. because the Empire are using him? And he's a great robot to be using instead of would, this would, brick. Would you have preferred if uh, KSTO was your little trash can buddy? Oh, that would have been awesome. Through the he's whole just like, film. Beep. <laughs> just oh, just no! wandering around with his big old feet. I would love it. I would love it. 
my other thing with this is the uh when we see the ship go through hyperspace into battle it's the only time they've actually done that where a camera's like attached to a ship externally as it goes through and then appears and it looks fucking cool like it's really, yeah. really cool yeah this whole this whole sequence is just fresh because i haven't seen it goes on a long time but it's a long yeah sequence it's bit. so long <laughs> But I haven't seen a planet like this before in Star Wars, so it is kind of cool having this very much Pearl Harbor sort of feel. Yeah. it's It feels grounded, but in a vibrant way. It's like it's showing you don't have to be grounded and look miserable and drab. You can look so beautiful and have, I, you know, a, Vin, a Vietnam War or a Pearl Harbor sort of feel to it. Which is cool. Yeah, that's it. That, that's the first time for me in a Star Wars film where it feels it feels like a real war. Like it, the, the, the stakes feel a little bit higher and it feels yeah. just a bit more gritty. So at this point, Jin and Cassian start climbing the data vault as Krennic appears. Oh, as Krennic and his guards land on the beach. Yeah, um, Krennic confronts Jin and Cassian at the vault and Cassian gets shot and falls, but Jin keeps climbing. So Baze goes over to Chirrut, who has died and because he was overwhelmed by gunfire, Baze runs to him and repeats his mantra um, and, and Chirrut's last words is that he'll always find him in the force. And... Baze repeats his mantra, finding his faith again, and goes on a shooting rampage. Bodhi gets through the fleet and tells them to destroy the gate. He says it's for Galen, just as a bomb is thrown into the cargo ship. He turns and looks at it, and then we get a shot from the outside of it exploding as we lose Bodhi. Baze, at this point, continues the mantra, and he attacks as many people as possible before killing a trooper with a bomb, which ultimately kills him. Um, I was ship- very sad about yeah. this, too. So he, we're losing we're losing our team. Sorry, he doesn't throw the bomb. Baze shoots a stormtrooper with a bomb. Oh, okay. But the stormtrooper doesn't drop it and it de- detonates next to him. So we're it starting to lose our, our team here, which is, yeah. Well, this is the inevitability. And this is the weird thing. It's, it's like you and me, Alex, who know where this came from. Well, because in A New Hope, they do stipulate, we got these like, people, everybody died to get these plans. So going into this, you know everybody's going to die, That's which is a weird true. way to go into a film. But I guess for most people, they wouldn't know that. So for most people, it was probably a bit of a shock. Yeah, like even even for me, knowing the outcome, I actually I can't even remember the f- in 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 my more recent viewings, it's it's even knowing the outcome, it's still really affecting for me as the the ensemble starts to sacrifice or be sacrificed, I guess. A rebel ship flies into a destroyer and starts nudging it towards the other Star Destroyer, which sends them both crashing into the <laughs> shield gate. And at this point, Jin gets to the comms tower to transmit the data. But the tower, the the satellite shield thing is pointing in the wrong direction. She has to change it. She almost gets killed by a TIE fighter, and just but she doesn't. And just as she's about to transmit the data, she's confronted by Krennic. She tells him her plan, and he says she's failed. But then he's shot by Cassian, who reappears, and they begin transmitting all the data up to the Rebel fleet. Now, the transmission is received just as the Death Star arrives out of hyperspace. Tarkin orders for the base to be destroyed and says Vader will handle the fleet. How do they take down the Atat Walkers so easily in this one, Alex? How come they can shoot like their legs out and stuff? And the Atats are brought down by the X Wings that are in on Scarif. So they, there were no X Wings on Hoth, were there? They were mainly those little A Wing things. They were like there hovering were around them. Were there no X Wings at all? No X Wings, just A Wings. I don't Maybe remember some B Wings. The, <laughs> there are B Wings, you know. Show some what? respect, there are? Christina. <laughs> yeah, they're all uh, alphabet. Dang. 
Y wings. There's Y wings. Can I remember at the time people but did have why? trouble with? Hang on, attack walkers are so hard to take down in Hoth, but in this they kind of do it pretty easily. Yeah, but maybe it's the X wings that kind of flip that. I don't. I just can't remember yeah. now. So yeah, the the rebel fleet get the information and and bail, and they wish they they send a message to Rogue One, knowing that none of them can get out. And they say, may the force be with you. The rebel fleet retreat just as Vader appears. Jin and Cassian arrive to the shore just as the Death Star ignites its uh, cannon. When strikes Scarif and the giant fire cloud approaches them. And Cassian tells Jin that her father would have been proud of her. And they hold each other as the impending fireball approaches them. Now the rebels start to scramble on the ship. And at this point... They're boarded by an imperial troops, and we have this. And now, for me, this is the moment if they were going to use him in this film, which initially I was of the feeling that I didn't want to see him. But if they were going to choose a moment to put him in this film and reveal him, this is when they should have done it instead of that stupid Mustafa scene. We have we're on the Tantive Four, the ship that we. Oh no, we're not on the Tantive Four yet. We're on a rebel ship that's been boarded by the Imperials. And the rebels at the blast door and suddenly in the darkness, we hear Vader's breathing and his red lightsaber is, is engaged and he goes on a rampage. Initially, I didn't know how I felt about this, but the more I've seen it, I actually really love this moment. I don't know about you guys. I feel that they still honor the original trilogy and that they don't extend Vader's abilities or his his movement outside of what he does in the original trilogy you know he's not like super agile or mobile he's using all his force powers and he kills a bunch of rebels as they try and get the plans scramble the plans they manage to pass it through and they get it onto the tantive four which we know from the start of a new hope and vader looks out as the rebels scramble um, and he looks out over this docking bay as the tantive four escapes and now we're on the Tantive Four, and the plans get passed into a room, and we see the back of Princess Leia. And the rebel commander gives her the plans, asks her, what have they sent us? And she says, hope. End credits. With a little smile. With a little smile. Tell me, so I kind tell of race me, tell through, me. I, I kind of race through that last bit without kind of gauging your thoughts and feelings on the Vader moment first off, I think. Guys, Al. Uh, Who was she? Was she she? Calm just down, tell me Christina. now. Calm down. I'm just going to keep her hanging on the thread. For you know. Yeah, yeah. That's Vader first. Yeah, this whole, I mean, this the whole ending thing, like, um, I mean, the whole ending on the planet, I like the inevitability of people's deaths and stuff. And there were some dumb sort of plot contrivances there. The whole thing that you have to have for them to get the files off of the planet into space seemed really dumb. There's a line where they say, these, the Death Star plans are too big, so you have to do this and this and this. It's like, can I not compress and zip them in a PDF or something? It's like, how big really are some plans? It's like, it's not, you know, it's not like video files or anything. But this was 1970s vision of the future. Oh, that's very true. I didn't take that into consideration. Yeah, then when we get the Vader thing. So at the time, when I first saw it, yeah, I was already pissed off with any other sort of cameos. I didn't feel any of them were needed. And I had a bad taste in my mouth from Vader earlier in the film. Now, you can't deny this is a great moment. You can't. Like, it's obviously a great moment. It's a comic book moment. The lightsaber turning on in the dark, using his force powers while he's lightsabering people, something we hadn't seen before. 
basically bioshocking it you know <laughs> like using two hands and doing different things it's a really cool moment and him standing there at the end with his cape billowing it's how darth vader always should have been and it does feel like it's how they wanted him to be in the originals but didn't have the articulation uh, uh but again my problem with it is that it doesn't fit the rest of the movie it fits the force awakens and we'll talk about it next podcast whether it would fit a last jedi but it doesn't fit this movie so i do enjoy that moment a lot and thinking about it this time as we talk through the movie with you guys if you cut out that earlier scene with him which you could totally do and lose nothing it's not a problem to edit that out maybe i'd like this moment more it still wouldn't fit but to be this is the only time you see darth vader and you don't even know you've kind of forgotten he exists and then suddenly he comes through that door that would be cool like the lightsaber is the first time you're like, oh shit darth vader's actually going to show up that would be kind of cool christina you happy to see darth vader doing stuff or you just don't really care you know glazed <laughs> <laughs> barely even noticed it happened the thing that stuck in my head that i remembered was uh, the moment when they hugged and on the mm-hmm. sea all right on the shore and then i just it made me think about like what would i do in that moment you know and how would i feel in that moment vader i don't know Punch whatever <laughs> whatever i'm i'm normally yeah like but, but that's, that's what i mean like, it's like you're what playing I'm, off like, of what i kind of kind of affected me and stuck with me but that's the thing it's like yeah Vader you're playing off of a scene like that me. which is which is dark and quite emotional or it should be but yeah. i'm not feeling anything personally for them and, and yeah i'm not at all and i should be and yeah. then i'm going from that immediately to a very comic booky moment and that's what i kind of mean is the problem is the film's juggling these two things occasionally and the one that i like more isn't connecting with me yeah whereas this Darth Vader thing is less my kind of thing to be honest but, but did it connect it, it's with you done, it's done well it's yeah done well. no well not connected with me emotionally but I mean it's done well mm-hmm. whereas their stuff is like they're sitting there on the beach like I should feel a lot here and I'm not and then you get the layer thing on top of that right at the end it's like Tell an extra me. thing what is it so it's the same technology they did with the other guy that mm. you didn't realize was CGI to bring him back they use a Norwegian model called Ing I don't know Ingvild dealer i don't know how you say her name uh you can look her up she has a similar face structure and then they used yeah photographs and scans to like take leia's old face and put it over it's slightly uncanny valley i think it works very well if you didn't know about it and you weren't judging these with that knowledge i don't know if you would know to be honest because it's so brief and i think it has more purpose than the general talking one i understand mm-hmm. i have a knee jack uh, sorry a knee jack a knee jerk <laughs> angry <laughs> i've got a knee jerk but that's a different medical problem that we should talk about right now but i have a knee jerk angry reaction to it but objectively if you took tarkin out and you took out that scene of vader earlier i might be happy with these this double whammy at the end did they use her voice because though? it's leading right now. i think so yeah yeah they did they used archival well, she was audio still, but but she was also still alive but obviously her voice was very different yeah. Yeah. No, they they did use archival audio okay. for saying hope. That's interesting. Yeah. This isn't it one of those weird stories like the other one that you were talking about last time, where they took like a where different word something. said and shaved it up mm. and stuff. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. Well, cool. Yeah. There, there's the movie. There's Rogue One. <laughs> That's it. So, Christina. You want me to go first? Well, you were barely cogent, it seems. <laughs> I know. Movie, so okay, what I realized is I can't watch a movie. I have to watch the movie 
right before I do the podcast. And I didn't take that many okay. notes. Bad, bad, bad idea. <laughs> glazed. I forgot about a lot of things. You. Yeah, glazed. But, you know, I was actually really excited to watch this movie. I There's so many great actors in it. And I think they all did a really, really great job. It was beautifully shot. Visually, it was great. All the effects, great. And I liked, like in the beginning, I liked the darkness of it. I liked the different tone that it had. But, I mean, as the movie went on, I started to miss the the charm of, you know, the original movies. And especially after watching, right, watching this right after The Force Awakens, it was so fun to watch The Force Awakens. And, I mean, this didn't have to be that, but this made me miss that. And I don't, I think it's because I didn't really connect with the main characters. I didn't really care that much. And it's not because they did a bad job. I don't know what it was, but I, I didn't care. And I, I got really bored. And the fight scenes killed me. Not because they were, I don't know, not because they were bad, but I just didn't really care. And I mean, as I said earlier, the two people I really cared about was Baze and Chirrut. Chirrut. And I wanted to see them more. And they're the ones that kind of brought like a little brightness and charm to to this movie for me. And I mean, there were some great moments, but I think I was expecting a lot more or something different. I don't yeah, know what it was. I didn't love it. We can tell. Yeah. Mm. It was kind of bored. I, mean, I was just kind of bored. I was really bored. Okay. Okay. <sighs> Would you recommend it to anybody though, or is this like a no? People should just skip this one, really. No, I mean, I think you should watch it. Like, if you had seen, because you said you enjoyed The Force Awakens, you didn't go and see this as cinema. But if you had, like, it been in your life and you had someone like us going, "Hey, we're gonna go see a new Star Wars movie," you're like, actually, you know what? I enjoyed that last one. I'll go check this out. Yeah. Would this have dampened? Would this have dampened your spirits to the point where you wouldn't then go back for another one? No, 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 no. I would go back for. Another, I feel like I, I would go back for another one. And, and you know, I, it was like, oh, God, it's about the freaking Death Star again. But <laughs> it actually, you know, parts of it were actually really interesting to me to, you know, to learn the story about how the Death Star came about, you know, and that there was somebody that was actually really good that was forced to make it. And, and you know, that conflict... And all the sacrifices he had to make, you know, with his family. And so there were, there were interest, really interesting things about it. But I don't know what it was. There was just something that wasn't, wasn't doing it, I guess. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Fair enough. I'm interested. Can you tell in, I mean, don't say it now necessarily, but when we get to a wrap up, can you tell in your head where this fits for you in, in like ordering the films? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Alexander Chard, once Hello. again, you're a mystery to me, my friend. Because I knew some of your initial feelings for Rogue One when we, when we didn't sit together, but when we talked about it last year on a regular podcast. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying some things have changed for better or for worse. Yeah, Where well, the at? thing is, and I understand in some of my comments, there's probably going to be a tiny bit of sort of back and forth and a little bit of hypocrisy, but... If there's one star- thing Star Wars fans are good at, it's 
hypocrisy, I feel. Contradicting themselves. Contradicting themselves. You know, because I, I was very, very excited about this before it came out. I was excited that we were going to get, a f- although kind of fresh Star Wars story, even though it's still within the kind of canon of the main sagas. Yeah, I was, I was very, very excited about that. But when I first saw it, I had very similar feelings to Christina. I came out of it very underwhelmed. And despite just saying that I wanted some fresh new things, there were things as a kind of, from like a purist Star Wars fan kind of point of view that I was like, you know, I wanted, I wanted that damn crawl. I, I wanted that damn crawl. I wanted Same. the score. I wanted the score either to be, yeah, different and new and not have these echoes, like either use John Williams or and use the, those that kind of score or create something completely different without these sort of flourishes that made it very deliberate and like I was trying to to do that. And, and, and I felt like there was such an imbalance of we want to make it fresh, but we also want it to be Star Wars and, and that really rattled me. And the introduction of Graham Moff Tarkin, I just, I, I, I was, I, I was shocked at the time. I just couldn't believe it. I thought, okay, let's see. He's going to have a little cameo, as I said earlier, but then he keeps reappearing and he's, he's an essential character in this film. And that really disturbed me that they would take part of Peter Cushing's performance and just that, that brief performance in a new hope and, and draw it out and create it new. And I don't know, it just really didn't sit well with me. And it was very jarring because it looked like CGI and this was a main character. And I didn't, I didn't like that. And also going into it, my feeling was, was I didn't, I didn't want Vader or the emperor or characters coming back. You know, I, I wanted the audio, the, the world to be rich and sort of allude to them and, and acknowledge their presence within the universe, but I didn't want to see them. So again, seeing Vader come out in that silly scene in Mustafar, I was like, no, like this is, I didn't need to see him. The, the fact that he is present and in the background, much like how they are with the Emperor until Return of the Jedi, when you finally see him, you, you, you understand his presence, he's there. And I loved that. I loved, and same with like another character, they do that with Jabba the Hutt in the original, until they did all the extra stuff. But like he's a presence, a character that you know exists in the universe and is in the background. And then you finally see him at a point. And that's how I wanted this film to be with Vader. Like acknowledge his presence, acknowledge he's in the universe, but we don't have to see him. We know Darth Vader. He's a pop cultural icon. Like we don't have to to see him again. So I was very unsettled with that as well. So the whole film on my first viewing was very underwhelming. But I have watched this film several times now. And although I have still some of those issues, my appreciation and joy for this film and where I rank it keeps going up. And I'm enjoying it more and more and really appreciating it. I, I you know, it's far from perfect, but I absolutely love the tone of the film. I love that that the narrative for me is is just very clear and concise. Like it's, it's, we've got to get the Death Star plans, get them back to the Rebels. And they just, they stick to that thread and they stick the characters along that narrative thread and just keep them moving forward um, and not diluting it too much with, with subplots and subplots of other characters. 
and I really enjoy that. I enjoy that kind of clarity of, 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 of direction. I really appreciate, yes, it's, it's difficult to, to kind of get on Jin's side because she's so closed off for so long. But like I said earlier, I, I, I enjoy the assembly of this ensemble and how they, what you kind of lack from Jin, you get in other characters and you, I'm absolutely on board with them and, and support them. And for me, unlike any other Star Wars film, I feel in, in repeated viewings, I feel the stakes of this film and what they're doing. And for me, the stakes remain high and the this sort of lingering knowledge for all of like them as characters and us as an audience, that this is a death mission. Like there is, there is that they are truly relying on hope, like just to get the plans. And I love that the stakes are like kept like that. And, 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 and that really resonates with me. I, the costume and set design is just incredible. Like, I think it's so, so well done and so true to a new hope without feeling forced like forced it feels just very effortless and very seamless yeah and and and, and it's very affecting at the end when I've, I've start as as these different characters all start to die like i i feel very moved by that and i feel yeah it's weird like i feel gratitude for for them and what they've done and and yeah and i i don't, I don't know I, I just really am loving this film and it's it's right it's it's up there now in my rankings for sure. The Grand Moff Tarkin stuff, I in my last viewing, I was a little bit more accepting of it. I felt that the scenes with him, it wasn't there wasn't too much, and the 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 length of those was okay. I Bethany and I said that maybe if we saw it on a big screen again, we'd feel as we did when we first saw the film. So yeah, I I love it. I love this film way way more than i did when i first saw it it has just it has just really grown on me and the thing that's and the funny thing is is what i've realized and i'll I'll probably say this again in the last jedi podcast the thing i've noticed with these disney films for me is that I, i need repeated viewings of them to really to be able to acknowledge and accept what they are and how i feel about them because i think as as a fan and again like i was talking about sort of the hypocrisy of star wars fans is that I guess I would consider myself a, a yeah very much a purist. I'm so attached to the original trilogy, and that's forever. Whatever Star Wars media comes out, that is forever going to be the standard with which I hold up any new film or any new projects. Like, how is it going to resonate with me like those films did? And I feel with repeated viewings of these Disney films, I start to sort of put that fandom aside a little bit, and I'm like, okay, let's just watch this. Well, how do I enjoy and appreciate this? Yeah, and it was like that with Force Awakens. As I said in the last podcast with Force Awakens, my love and appreciation of that has also gone up, what I value from it. And it's the same, absolutely the same with Force Awakens. Yeah, I won't quite reveal where it is in my rankings right now, but I enjoyed and absolutely recommend this film. Yeah, that's that's me. That is you. Yeah, all right. I was I genuinely didn't know which way you're going to go with it. Like, I really didn't. Because I know, like, we, we just didn't get to speak about it much, and you've always seemed a little bit down on it, to be honest. So I'm happy that, yeah, you've opened your arms a little bit to Rogue One. I feel sort of similar in, in some ways. My problem, well, in many ways. So when I, I think this is really where my problem comes from. When I first saw a Gareth Edwards film, which was Monsters, it 
was one of those very rare films that I see where at the end of it as a filmmaker or a struggling filmmaker, I come out of it just going, fuck, this person made the film I always wanted to make. And I wasn't really making films at that point. I just, it was all I'd ever wanted to do. And I see this film, Monsters, and I was like, shit, this is the film I wanted to make. And this person's already done it. What do I possibly have to say? And it's kind of like inspiring and depressing at the same time. And it encouraged me to make films in a way that I always wanted to, which was smaller and more indie and show big stories on a small scale, you know, like an intimate scale to shoot them more handheld all the time. I wasn't a fan of putting things on tripods or sticks. I like things to be handheld, to feel in those moments, to feel the breathing and to feel like you're in this 3D space. And gradually, as I've been lucky enough to get more into doing films on a professional level, I've started to learn to embrace more uh, structure to some shots and more cinema, you know, classic cinematography sort of styles with things. And I'm just right now in the midst of planning like my second feature, well, my sort of third feature, and I went, I was like, watching this film again yesterday reminded me immediately of all those things that I immediately, I found inspiring when I first saw Monsters in terms of what Gareth is able to do with grounding a science fiction world and the magic that is there to be able to ground something as huge as Star Wars. For me, straight away from that first scene. And a lot of it is tone, uh, both colors and in mood. And definitely in the way that he likes to shoot things, for sure. And it it gave me second thoughts on many things. I was kind of like, I'm always struggling with how I want to shoot stuff uh, and settling. And he's so settled in a style that for me makes, yeah, the extra reshoots seem very identifiable in this movie. So I love, I love the opening of this, as I said. I love the grounding of this film so much. I love the ensemble of characters. I love the set designs, the art the effects, the mood, like so many aspects of this film are by far my favorite Star Wars film. And that it's the film, it's more the Star Wars world that I want to be a part of. But what I have to look at it objectively is does it succeed in doing what it's trying to do? And for me, no, it it doesn't. Like it's, it's trying to do something that's more what I want, but it's not as successful with it as many of the other films are. Like I think The Force Awakens does what it was trying to do better then this does what it's trying to do. Um, and all The Force Awakens was trying to do was, you know, be nostalgic while having a good time moving forward. And I think for better or worse, it does that very, very well, as we talked about in our last podcast. With this one, it's trying to do something very different and much more ambitious. And I applaud it hugely for that. And it means the things that hit me resonate far more with me far, far more. But when it doesn't work, it falls apart and I can look at the extra things like all the cameos that you've spoken about, Alex. I won't go over them again because I feel basically exactly the same way as you. None of them fit the mood. None of them I think are really necessary. And I can, I could exercise them. I could get rid of Tarkin, you know, like, but you, you can't for this film because he's so necessary. So you can't edit him out, sadly. But even if they had a different actor for that, that would solve a problem for me, for sure. Either give it a different character or just use the guy who played him because he actually looks pretty similar. <laughs> But at the end of the day, I can overlook all of that stuff. And the more I watch it, the more I can overlook those elements because they become a part of this movie. The thing I can't overlook is that I grow to appreciate this movie more and more and more the more I watch it. And I grow to kind of love it more the more that I watch it. But my attachment to the two lead characters never becomes any warmer. And I'm just left feeling very cold about those two main characters. And that for me is... It's such an enormous failing if I can't attach to to Jin 
then what am I really there for? You know? So it's weird because in one hand, I can completely understand someone saying, this is my favorite Star Wars film ever. And I understand that. And then I can understand someone like Christina saying, I was bored for a lot of this movie. Because if you're not really attaching to that lead character and what they're doing and why they're doing it, then you're not going to be that interested unless you are there for the impressive visuals or the fight scenes or, you know, whatever it might be. And the best Star Wars film, I feel, does all of those things. The best Star Wars film, you can enjoy the fight scenes, but you're also enjoying them from a character-based level as well. And in this, I was not enjoying any of the fight scenes from a character-based level, always a technical level or an artistic level, I should say. So this, for me, is by far the most conflicting Star Wars film. All the others I can see, and I know almost immediately exactly where they're going in my rankings for when we get to a wrap-up. This film fucks me up completely because I'm all over the map with it from scene to scene to scene. And the base thing of it I love the most and yet the other base thing of it of character work just doesn't work for me at all. So yeah. And the, my other big problem is I don't think this story needed to be told. I really don't. Like, I don't really care about the people who got the, def- the, the plans for the Death Star. It's fine. And I think they do a great job assembling that story. But I didn't really need to know it. You know, it's one of those little boxes of like, how in-depth do I need to get in Star Wars lore? I don't need to fill in all these gaps. I'm okay. Uh, which is frustrating for me because I would like to see stories which had nothing to do with the Skywalker saga and nothing to do with Han Solo and completely separate things. And I think this is the closest we'll get to that. And it's still very much inherently a story we already know what the outcome is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say like, this is a story you wouldn't know because I almost feel, you know, I, I am very vocal about or have been about not wanting the Han Solo story and wanting these side stories to expand on the universe or explore different timelines even. But this one, yeah, I, I, I did like, but I feel like it's very much for the fans that would even have picked up on that tidbit of information in A New Hope, do you know what I mean? The yeah, fact yeah, that it was, it was such lines. a big gamble and the fact that people were confused about where this fits in is like, I think also quite quite evident of... Yeah, should it have been a story that was... Or yeah. did it need to be told? If it's just like, you know, if it's yeah. not just for the fans that, that can really pick up on that. I agree. Yeah. Well, next episode, we're going to be dealing with the, new, the, the newest film, The Last Jedi, directed by Ryan Johnson. So very quickly, we should say Ryan Johnson was in this movie. Oh, he was? Was he? He was indeed. He's an Imperial trooper controlling the Death Star's laser. Oh. Uh, uh, I thought that was him. That's also cool. in this movie was, was Gareth Edwards as well. Where was he? Nice. He's right at the end when they're all running away from Darth Vader. He's the guy who puts the actual transmission into the, uh, into the thing. Oh, that's the cool. Program, whatever. Like yeah, that. He's like the last person basically to have it before it gets handed over to someone to give to Leia. Actually, um, can I just add one fleeting. thing that I just thought of? We had no. before. This was like one of the first Star Wars films in a long time to me that felt like it didn't have elements that were part of a big toy push. That is true. Yeah. That is very, very, very true. Yeah. Not filling a toy presence. In I this did one not. At all. Yeah. Uh, which is Maybe uh, but that's loads what of creatures I was as well. Missing. Still loads of creatures. But it was still <laughs> loads of creatures, but you didn't feel yeah. like they would give them like I I love one of my favorite moments in this is the soup pot with the tentacles coming out of it, which I love so much. <laughs> now, next episode, because The Last Jedi is a brand new film, we've all only been able to see it once because it just came out. We're gonna be doing this very, very different. Uh, obviously this podcast, as you can hear, normally very long. We normally run for two hours, ten, two hours, fifteen minutes on these because we'd like to get into it. 
We're not going to with The Last Jedi. Uh, there isn't a full synopsis out. We weren't able to take notes in the cinema. But we want to do a review while it's out right now. So what we're actually going to do is an hour-long discussion where we're just going to talk about the film. Not like we do normally, not with the same structure, not going for it scene by scene. Just talking about our feelings, elements in the movie, things we like, things we didn't like. None of us have spoken to each other yet, so I have no idea and I'm excited to find out. Um, and then what we might do, and this is going to be news to Christina, is when the inevitable next film, which is Han Solo or just Solo comes out, the week before Solo comes out, we might get back together again um, and do one of these podcasts for The Last Jedi, where we do tear it apart properly, scene by scene, with a bit more time to reflect on it and come back to it and things like that. But yes, so a penultimate episode, which I think is tomorrow, will only be like an hour long, and then we'll have a wrap-up episode later on uh, after that. That makes me so excited that we'll go back and do it in depth, and it also <laughs> just really makes me smile thinking it how trapped you are in this Star Wars bubble, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> Christina's never getting out. They just announced like four more, so she's with us forever. What the hell? Um, <laughs> it's never it's true. It's a never-ending thing. Once you start, if you can't you stop. If you want to support us, that's true. It's like, it's like Pringles. If you want to support us, which we really appreciate if you do, go over to wearegeeks.com, just wearegeeks.com. You can branch out to all of our iTunes, which has all of our podcasts on there. We have a mostly weekly podcast simply called Geeks, where we talk about topical games and movies and stuff like that. We did a good PUBG versus Fortnite Battle Royale podcast last week, which will annoy many people. And we do every single Friday a horror franchise retrospectives. Right now we're in the middle of the Child's Play retrospective, which is me, Alexander Chart, and Alison Holland doing all the Chuckies. Uh, we've done Invasion of the Body Snatchers, we've done Friday the 13th, The Nightmare on Elm Street, we've done Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and we've also done a Danny Boyle one as a director's podcast. You can get all that going to weirdgeeks.com through to iTunes. You can also branch through to our Twitch channel. We've got something very cool coming in 2018 with our friend Nate Hertz, uh, but we're not going to be talking about that just yet, but just go on to Twitch, subscribe, and <laughs> you will yeah, see the weirdness that that's going to be. He's a crazy boy. Nate is a crazy man. <laughs> oh, you're talking, you're talking about a... I can't do the voice that he does. <laughs> That's it's been so long. <laughs> and also, if you're on weirdgeeks.com, you can email us directly straight through there. Or if you prefer to use your own little provider, just type in mail at wearegeeks.com. Mail at wearegeeks.com. And you can branch out to all our social medias, just wearegeeks on everything. And what else can you do? Blah, blah, blah. I'm, yeah, your host. I'm Mr. Al White on all the social medias. And I have a website as Mr. Al White, which needs updating. And I play Xbox games as Mr. Al White. I will play some PUBG or Fortnite with you. Uh, I play for both teams. Christina Matheson. Hi, guys. I'm Christina. Bye, guys. <laughs> Love it. I don't know. I have an Instagram. I have this thing called I Twitter. Oh, no. And my handle, I guess, is at underscore hi Christina on both of them. So, uh, yeah. You know. Ubiquitous. I'm wow. there. If you want to hear to Christina, just mostly just, you know, tweet endlessly about Star Wars trivia. It's <laughs> how she spends her day. I don't know if I've gotten any tweets about that yet. I haven't checked it in <laughs> no, like a few so. weeks, so I don't know. Probably best not to. This is going to be people being annoyed. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, you can check out what I'm up to on Instagram at Alexander Chard or uh, on Twitter. Same handle. I don't really use Twitter very much. and I was reading a lot of Last Jedi reviews in made me realize I hate Twitter. <laughs> but if people want to <laughs> engage with me on Twitter and say I'm an idiot or I'm not a Star Wars fan or say, hey, yeah, I agree with that, then I probably would respond. So hit me if up. If you want to be consideration to be hated by Alex on Twitter, then give him a tweet. 
If you say stupid shit, I will call you out on your stupid shit. <laughs> I had to restrain fair. myself from responding to so many Jedi tweets. Uh, but anyway, we'll get into that. We will on next episode when we talk about The Last Jedi. Until then, we're out. Geeks. 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 <laughs>